0: looking at you, kid. I'm Charles Foster King! Hey, Stella! Suck on this...
1: What's going on, everybody? This is Wrong Real, episode 524. It's a podcast for hardcore cinephiles where we tackle everything from Jean-Luc Godard to Jean-Luc Picard. And this is our special Happy Halloween episode. And I felt like tackling UFOs for Halloween was so appropriate because one of my all-time favorite pieces of entertainment... In any medium, in any platform, is the infamous War of the Worlds broadcast that was put together by Orson Welles and his gang. And I just feel like, uh, what better way to spend the holiday than talking to Moose Matson and Adam Rakoff? We're going to be going back and forth with their top five favorite UFO movies. These are not alien movies. They have to be specifically UFO movies, which is a much more kind of narrow subgenre. But guys, welcome back to Wrong Reel. Hello! (laughs) Go ahead, Adam, go ahead.
2: (laughs) No, no, it's great to be back, and uh, this is a topic that is uh, near and dear to my heart and Moose's, so we're excited to share our stories and, and films that we love.
1: Yeah, y'all pitched it months ago and then Moose and I got uh sidetracked by this uh this little short film project that we're doing and uh but the true important project of real momentous uh importance is this UFO up and uh did <laughs> give people a heads up ahead of time I'm going into this episode as kind of one of the unconverted, but who is willing to put Wrong Reel's reputation on the line, allowing two enthusiasts to uh, to speak their piece about, about UFOs. It's one of those things where... I would love nothing more than for aliens to land in Times Square tonight and either kill us or make love to us or unify us or whatever like it's it's like being like warmed up and ready for sex but no one's able to quite satisfy you and so I've seen some movies that I really like but for me the most satisfying movies are always the ones that I don't know, really go for like the, allowing your imagination to soar. Things like Close Encounters of the Third Kind, which I feel is kind of like the, the best that this genre has to offer. But I'm going to try my best not to constantly interrupt or contradict you guys and have an open mind. But I watched two documentaries that were recommended, and I think after watching mm-hmm. these two documentaries, I'm more of a skeptic and more of a dick than I was going into this. So I'm, I'm going to let you all change my mind this evening. But maybe before we get into these movies, let's just talk a little bit about... What got y'all interested in the subject in the first place? Because it sounds like if you get into it, whether it's through books or documentaries, whatever the case may be, or through personal experiences at a fairly young age, then it's a hobby or a side interest that's hard to let go of. So maybe Adam, go first. Uh, what is, what has first attracted you to this topic?
2: Well, <laughs> early on in my childhood, I grew up in central Pennsylvania. And in a small college town, and I had a sighting uh, out my bedroom window. I think I may have told the story on our Close Encounters of the Third Kind episode when we discussed the 40th anniversary of that film, like two, two, three, maybe three years ago now, I think it was, two or three years ago. And um, I was laying in my bedroom uh, floor. I think I was reading a comic book. I looked up, and high up in the sky was a circular disc just Moving across the sky at a steady speed, it looked the color of a cloud, white as a cloud, but there was not a single cloud in the sky. It was just the summertime, and it just kind of went right across out of my field of view. I ran downstairs, <clears throat> ran out into my backyard to see if I could spot it. I was yelling to my parents, "Come, come!" But no one else saw it, and it was at that point out of our, uh, out of uh, out of view. But uh, I know I saw it. It was definitely not anything that was identifiable in the traditional sense. And I think that may be the first thing that got me excited or interested in the phenomenon. Um, Later on, I was sledding with my family and some friends. And we noticed something off uh, in the field that we were sledding off of a hill. And it was a newly fallen snow and there were not any footprints. So, uh, we had just gotten there after the snow had fallen. And uh, we noticed something strange out in the middle of the field. So we all walked out towards it after we slid down, sledded down the hill. And there was a perfect circle in the snow. And all of the grass was like flat and dry underneath it. There was nothing to, under the under the ground, there wasn't like some kind of, you know, underground pipe or you know something that was creating heat and uh it just looked like a, a circle appeared out of nowhere in the snow so those those are two uh events that sort of in my youth uh my preteen years triggered my interest and uh, uh i i have to say that it it as you mentioned it made me start reading books and made me start watching films uh and some of the films uh, that we'll talk about today i think furthered my uh my, my excitement, Close Encounters definitely being one of the top <clears throat> films, uh, as it is for many. And, uh, and of course, as I grew older, the subject just interested me more and more. And I've, I had additional sightings as a, as, as, a, as a grown man. I had one just a few years ago, where everyone actually on the street near, in my neighborhood looked up and saw a small object in this hovering high up in the sky. I tried to take pictures with it, but they're, they're really hard with, your, with the phone camera to really get anything of, uh, you know, the, it actually makes them look smaller. But I did zoom in and I zoomed in on this on this one image and, uh, and you could definitely make out uh, a strange shape of like a, a saucer with like a little bulb on top um, where, you know, in the traditional kind of flying saucer image that people uh, talk about so it, it was something it was real it wasn't our imagination and uh, so these I think these these events that people have, whether they are sightings, whether people have abduction experiences, whatever they might be, I think those certainly <clears throat> create the the majority of the the believer base and once you've had a sighting, and there have been several U.S. presidents that have had sightings as well, and, and and have been very vocal about how they are true believers, or they believe they were true believers even before they got into the White House, and um, and who knows what they learned once they got into the White House? That's that's up for speculation. So, anyway, that's kind of my my background uh, in a gist. I think there's there's more there's more things <clears throat> I can get into, but that's my that's the sort of genesis of my my interest in this in the subject matter and I will just say that I don't believe everything I watch and, and read I just I actually find this this topic to be uh, much like science fiction exciting and, and interesting I think it's cool as hell even if it's not real I love some of these stories and I think they're just great entertainment so uh, it's fun to believe that it could be real or there might be elements of truth in this in these uh and these stories are elements that are based on on true events, but um, I don't presume to believe that everything that people are talking about or everything that uh, you know whistleblowers are revealing that everything is is factual and true. I think that's it's important to distinguish between uh, um, the fact that fact and, you know that people often want to believe things are true. And it's important not to always want things to be yeah. true. We
1: all suffer from confirmation bias, looking for things that confirm whatever narrative we might already believe in. Exactly. I saw something. I learned this stat only a couple days ago, and it was so disappointing. I was watching that documentary, um, The Social... Oh, what the hell? My, my mind is not working tonight. Dilemma?
2: The, the Social
1: Dilemma. Yeah. And they were talking about how accurate <clears throat> information is less valuable than fake information, that fake information travels six times faster than accurate information. <laughs> Therefore... Yeah. It's just like gasoline on a brush fire. And social media, obviously, it only <laughs> exacerbates the the challenge of trying to separate fact from fiction. And I've always felt like uh, that old expression is very helpful. They say, uh, believe half of what you see and none of what you hear. And that might make your world very <laughs> small. Yeah. And, but it does keep you from getting uh, taken in by charlatans. Because there are a lot of people out there, whether you're talking about like, L. Ron Hubbard creating Scientology, whatever the case might be, where people are able to... We were able to hoodwink them and bring them in. So I'm always keep trying to keep my guard up, but as someone who loves science fiction and horror and fantasy, nothing would make me happier than to be confronted with concrete evidence that would totally blow all of our minds. But let's switch gears to a person who's already blown my mind on many occasions, the hobo with the high kick himself, Moose Mattson. How did you first get interested in this topic?
3: <coughs> UFOs? I don't believe them at all. It's all <laughs> hokum and bull squash. None of it's true. I, uh... Now, I, I uh, you know, growing up, you, you, you kind of catch those shows like on In Search Of with Leonard Nimoy, and it's just fascinating, you know, hearing mysteries. And uh, I think that's how it started. You'll You'll be at the library and there'll be like a little book on like Bigfoot or something like that. And you're like, oh, wow, that's that's cool. You'll open it up and you'll be like, "Oh, look at that Bigfoot!" And then they'll show some other things like, "Oh, the the story of the Loch Ness monster." Well, I believe and in
1: Bigfoot just... because I've seen you in the flesh, so I, I know I know he's real. <laughs> you <laughs> and, just shaved uh, yourself down and started making movies. <laughs> I, you know, they're
3: not supposed to catch on. See, now I'm going to get a visit in the middle of the night. That's,
1: that's boost foot. That's a different. <laughs> <way>.
3: <laughs> <clears throat> but uh, yeah, it started out that way, just as a as a kid liking you know, mysteries like that. And then, you know, that's just one of those ones that, uh, you know, comes along as well, UFOs uh, and aliens. And, uh, and that's how it started, you know, just a love of those kind of mysteries. You know, I, I thought it's one of those things where, you know, if you're interested in something, like say you're interested in ghosts, but the problem is you've never seen one or you always want to see one, but you never do. So this. You still got that kind of a uh, skeptic in the back of your mind because you, you really want to believe in it, but you've never seen anything, but it's probably true.
1: Or like the adult in ET who's jealous that ET presented himself to this kid. Like he always wanted to be <laughs> that kid who the aliens would present themselves to.
3: Yes. Uh, right away. That remind. Oh, have you ever seen uh, Thunderheart? The Dal Kilmer. Dal Kilmer. Yeah. Yeah. You know, he ends up having that vision quest. Right. And then Graham green is like, you got a vision quest. <laughs> hey, it's <laughs> yeah. ridiculous that's right and he's never had one then it turns out 13 years ago totally not looking for anything uh my wife who's much more into this than i am had to stay home so she didn't get to see anything and i and i had to live that down every day that she's like <laughs> you saw it i didn't see it <laughs> and you, you think that people think i'm scary She, yeah uh. but um I'm I'm driving to work, uh, you know. I work nights, and it's uh, it's ten o'clock at night. And I live a lot farther farther away then, uh, and I'm 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 just turning onto I'm turning onto a dirt road, Adam. Just like you would you would think to see something yeah. like this, and I see something above me out of the windscreen, and I'm like, wow, that that looks like a, one of those triangular spaceships with like the three lights, one in each of the corners, and you know, there's nobody behind me or anything so i stop and i lean out and i look up and there is this triangular ship with lights at each of the corners and a light in the center and these little like light orbs are dropping out of it as it's just slowly going across the sky and i'm i am not believing what i'm seeing i'm like there's no freaking way i'm seeing a ufo this is ridiculous and uh and it just keeps going and uh I, that's back, I didn't even have a flip phone back then, you know, so I couldn't take any pictures or anything. And even then, nowadays, you still you take a picture, like you said, and on these phones it just won't come out right.
1: Yeah, I mean, you see people doing that, like, I'm just, not of UFOs but just trying to take pictures of the nighttime sky, I'm like, yeah. what the fuck are you doing? Like, that's not, <laughs> not going to come out. No, for people, no. People I tried to, try take, try to take uh, a picture
3: of the moon.
2: Yeah, I tried to take recently the, uh, uh, Mars was in alignment with the moon. I don't know if you guys saw this, but you could see Mars, the, you know, the reddest planet out there, right next to the moon in the night sky because of a rare occurrence where the sun, Earth, and the moon, and Mars are all basically in a perfect alignment. And this was a few weeks ago. And I tried to get some pics with my phone and like they're, they're just, it looks like, a muddy mess you know it's but by the naked eye it looks amazing so it's it's hard to it's hard to capture these elements in the night sky especially when they're really far away so it's uh it's, it's a shame well,
3: luckily we didn't have any more planets in alignment or else the fifth element would have happened
2: that's true yeah
3: that would have been
1: so when it sure. comes to people believing or not believing, and I, maybe that gets at the core of maybe sometimes why I have problems with the, the kind of the community at large because they talk about believing. They talk about, oh, you have to have faith. And I'm like, well, belief and faith for me are more mm. religious terms as opposed mm. to scientific terms. <laughs> And maybe that's why when I hear people talking about ghosts and the supernatural or S- Slavic folklore or vampires, or whatever, I guess I, I don't get as like irritated instantly, or I don't get as suspicious or critical. And maybe I'm being <coughs> a hypocrite or being just like being inconsistent in my criticisms because I did have one experience when I was ten that's nothing related to UFOs, but just to join in on the the of uh, my my own unexplained phenomena. My older brother and I, I was ten, he was thirteen, were lying in our beds. And I was lying in my bed, and the blinds were down, but there's a street light behind the blinds, so you, it was like it was like casting a light on the window. And I'm lying there and look out the window, and he's talking, and what appeared to be like an arm extended itself out and started tapping the window, and I just froze and just locked up and couldn't move or talk. And my brother was like, "Dude, shut the fuck up." And I was like through gritted teeth, like, I'm not doing anything And he looks over and goes, Ah shit and he runs out of the room and I was like, Wait for me and I go running after him and uh, you know, we ended up waking up the house and my woke up my sisters and it was all total, complete bedlam and chaos. And then we went back in there and we turned on poisons, talked dirty to me to like get our courage up, turned on the lights, pulled up the blinds and nothing was there. But there was, like, a sunroof area where somebody could have stood, but the walls around that sunroof area were, like, unscalable minus, like, a rope and grappling hook. So it was very strange. So we deba- we've debated it now for 34 years. What might that have been? And we've come no closer. to the- My brother, who's obsessed with vampires, thinks it was a vampire. I'm like, well, you have no real... Evidence <laughs> to support that, but if you want to believe yeah. it's vampires, believe away. I won't stand in your way, but it's a that I, could once again, worse. A, yeah, unexplained yeah. phenomena. But I have um, no explanation for it. How many fingers were there on the hand? We have to get we have to dig in here. It was just a, a more like an arm like shape because oh, okay. the blinds were down, so all I saw was like the shadow. And so, but it appeared as if they were like resting and tapping their fingers on the glass over and over again. And so we thought maybe it's like a neighbor or maybe it's someone trying to mess with us or whatever the case might be. But we we went around the house for years, like how the fuck would somebody get up there? I mean, just we we can never figure it out. Well, it could be alien. Exactly. So <laughs> I didn't hear your question, but the answer is aliens. aliens. <laughs> yeah. So sometimes
2: people like that give the rest of us a bad name. Um, we are. Interested in the subject, but we certainly don't think everything is aliens, and we don't think that most of it is aliens, but we do think that there are things that are unexplainable. And I think for me, I'm more of the in the camp of—I I believe that there's enough military personnel, scientists, doctors, law enforcement uh, individuals that have come out, respectable individuals— and told their stories of things they've seen, things they've witnessed, things they've been involved with, things they've told not to talk about. That uh, that I believe that there is something more that the world is not being told. Uh, and so that's where my that's where my basis is. It's, it comes from a place of I can't be certain what I can't be certain how much of this is true, but I believe some of it is.
1: Yeah, it seems like there's a hell of a lot of evidence of information being concealed, what that Mm -hmm. information may or may not be, it depends upon who you want to listen to. But I feel like that's the stuff that's much more plausible to me, the idea that people are being super squirrely and cagey and secretive, Mm -hmm. and that's what invites this ocean of conspiracy theories. But my problem with conspiracies is always, and it's just... Same kind of, uh, I guess, mentality, but just in the reverse. There's some people out there who love themselves a good conspiracy theory and will believe each and every single conspiracy theory they come across. And I have the reverse, where I pretty much immediately disregard every conspiracy theory I come come across. And the truth is probably somewhere in the middle.
0: That's
3: that's a good way to look at it. Because uh, I would never try to convince anyone of the paranormal or uh you know anything supernatural or ufo's or aliens or anything like that because you know nobody like none of us have any proof on hand i can't go here james look oh my god like
1: alien semen in the rectum something like that <laughs> yeah.
3: so it's that's when it comes down to like you said the the belief you know i i don't it's one of the things, it's hard to say if you believe in something or you don't believe in something. Uh, I, I think none of us know for sure at all. So it's just, you know, how we look at it. Uh, could it be?
1: Could it not be? Well, What I would love is if like one of the world's foremost documentarians someone like Werner Herzog or Errol Morris or someone along those lines who's made a, a bunch of great movies on a bunch of great subjects if they were to tackle the subject but with the most critical eye you possibly could like they were to confront it not as a, be- a believer but as somebody not as not as a debunker but just actually mm-hmm. looking in a very practical unemotional way at the evidence at hand because like some of the documentaries that I saw like um, Unacknowledged and the Bob Lazar Area 51 and Flying Saucer Stocks are being made by believers and there's a lot of fuckery at play in their technique where they mix half-truths and fiction and speculation and they kind of Sometimes we'll do it in a way where they're trying to behave as if perhaps there's something there and maybe they know more than they're really letting on. And it's like I just need less emotional manipulation on the part of the directors because the moment I feel like I'm being manipulated, that's when I immediately put the movie at arm's length and start disregarding everything the movie has to say.
2: There's actually – I have not seen it yet, but a a new documentary looks like it just appeared – on various VOD platforms this past Tuesday, um, called the Phenomenon, and it's only available to purchase. It's one of these, you know, um, premium new releases. So it's like 1995. You can't even rent it yet. Um, I have not seen it, but it looks like it. From what I've re- been reading, it looks it looks like it's supposed to be more of that type of of examination of the phenomenon that that we that we both have Moose and I have experienced. And many others have as well, and it's and they're trying to, I guess, get to the, to get to the heart of the matter. So I don't know, It might be worth checking
1: out uh, for like, other listeners as well. I think when the the proof inevitably emerges, and I don't, when going back to this term belief, I don't believe that we're alone in the universe, but I do, I do believe that when the evidence presents itself, it'll be so overwhelmingly kind of self-evident that it'll be impossible to deny. deny. Like remember, like when when um Snowden came out and started talking about all the things that the NSA was doing. And it was just that real simple footage with no music, no editing, no fanfare, just as like bare bones as possible. Just him in a room, just talking about his experiences. And it took off like a brush fire because they just had this incredible gritty authenticity about it. And it was almost impossible to deny, even though the things that he was telling us were all about essentially government conspiracies and so on and so forth. And so I think when when he if was deemed
2: yeah, he was deemed as a credible source. I exactly. Think that's, and so I think
1: when true. and if the evidence emerges, it's going to be something <clears throat> as basic as that Snowden footage where it's just going to be somebody in their backyard, and something's going to happen, and it's going to be overwhelming. Agreed. Uh, I just want to make one, two shout-outs
2: before we progress. Uh, one, uh, we are recording this on the eve of a family member, Martin Kessler. His birthday is tomorrow, oh, so happy Feliz birthday. I we'll, Mr. Kessler? Yeah, yeah, this will air after this will post after uh, his birthday, obviously, but I thought we should just give him a shout out. And then also, uh, although no one can see it, I have a a poster from Close Encounters of the Third Kind. Uh, the 40th anniversary edition poster uh, when it was re-released in theaters. And I just wanted to give a shout out to Becky Deanna for sending me that poster. It's a Columbia Sony pictures release. So has
1: Becky ever taken a stand on where, uh, what she thinks (laughs) when it comes to UFOs?
2: Not to me. I don't, I mean, she loves close encounters. I know that. And she loves science fiction and she loves Star Trek. I think she's pretty open to the, (laughs) well,
1: if you ask her, do you believe in alien life? Almost all people say, "Oh, yeah, there's got to be something out there." Yeah, but then people say, "Well, what do you think about Roswell? What do you think about Area 51?" Like when you start getting into like the weeds, they're like, "Oh," it's and, then, and so it's, yeah. it becomes a different conversation. So along those lines, let's start unpacking some of these movies that you've chosen. I watched for in preparation. I watched Roswell Unacknowledged and Bob Lazar, Area 51, and Flying Saucers. But I'm looking forward to hearing what surprises might come our way. So Moose, <laughs> let's start with you. What is your number five? Oh, really? Favorite oh, my number five. <laughs> UFO film that you have ever seen?
3: Ah, uh, I, I I wasn't sure what my 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 numbers were on this one. One to five. She give me a heads up on that one.
1: Um, <laughs> gotta make hard choices. <laughs>
3: well, we don't have to edit this too much.
1: <laughs>
3: like, oh, to take out forty-seven pauses. Well, I, I'll just, while while you
2: I'll just say that I I picked. Films that may not be my absolute favorite films that include a UFO, but I did select films that I felt were were u- unique and interesting on the topic and might be worth checking out for those listening. That because obviously movies like Close Encounters or ET, everyone has seen these movies. Yeah. So it's not really we we don't need to beat that horse <laughs> anymore. It's it, everyone knows. I
3: mean, I mean, Close Encounters would definitely be one of the five yeah, exactly. on any UFO list. Right. Because it's the ultimate uh, UFO movie.
2: Right.
3: Um, and I do have it on my list. I just didn't know if I was going to say it because I have eight.
1: A, a list is only fun if you have to make hard choices. Like I'm making a I top know. 10 1930s horror uh, video right now. And it's almost impossible because there's like 30 really, really good ones. I'm like, fuck. I yeah, mean, it's, but, but anyway, it's, it's what lends the list excitement. And you, you know
3: gotta, what? Uh, okay. Okay. Here we go. Here we go. Number uh, Number five. From uh, 1980, Hangar 18. Tonight,
0: is the Air Force hiding an alien warship? We've got to keep this thing bottled. A close encounter becomes a deadly secret.
1: That could have been hushed.
0: If what they know gets out, it could destroy the world. Darren McGavin. Beings from another world have been here before. Robert Vaughn. Two men are dead.
1: We don't handle things that way. This is the White House.
0: And Gary Collins. We've been set up from the start.
1: The invasion force is coming
0: next.
1: All right. I've never heard of it. (laughs) Give us the pitch. I've seen it.
3: uh, It is the definitive UFO movie, James. You have to watch it. Uh, Uh, Hangar 18 um, stars, uh, what was it, Gary Collins and uh, Darren McGavin, Robert Vaughn.
1: Shooter McGavin. I eat pieces of shit like you. Shooter McGavin. Shooter McGavin. (laughs)
3: but uh it's uh, the it, astronauts in space in a uh, in a space station and uh, or in the shuttle i think it is one of the oh my god now i'm i'm actually i'm actually thinking of another movie and that's not. i'm thinking capricorn one and i'm like that's that's a different movie and hangar 18
2: uh no but there was a space shuttle incident right yeah and d- didn't in that one didn't one of the astronauts die um, in what, in I'm,
3: which, which movie are you I'm thinking? I swear to God, I'm thinking Captain Cornwall.
1: Oh, the INDB description of the film is after a UFO right. crashes in Arizona due to a space that's, collision that's with a NASA it. satellite launch, the U.S. government tries to cover up the incident that's for it. political And reasons. the, and the
3: astronauts don't want to cover it up, you know, so they're on the run from the, the government and the government's trying to stop them. Meanwhile, Darren McGavin is in charge of the people looking after the, uh, the UFO in the hangar. And they're trying to get inside.
1: Oh, it's got the dad from Team Wolf. Yes, him. he's the other astronaut. <laughs> him and
3: Gary yeah. Collins are running around, and uh, they have quite uh, quite a bit of the action, you know, in that one, uh, trying to get yeah. away from government agents.
2: And Robert Vaughn is his usual sleazy. Sleazy. <laughs>
3: there's gotta I be there's gotta be a Robert Vaughn movie
1: where he's not that way.
2: Yeah, yeah, but probably not. <laughs>
1: Yeah, sometimes yeah. typecasting is a good thing. It can lead to an entire uh, career. Yeah. Yeah. Sorry. and
3: uh, Go ahead. But, you know, in the end, they... Oh, well, uh, I'm going to give... This is totally... All these are totally spoilers as far as I'm concerned. This, this, this uh, came out on, in
1: 1980. Yeah, it's a four, <laughs> 40-year-old uh, movie.
3: eventually, Darren McGavin's team do get into the spaceship. And they're able to... Uh, uh, you go ahead and interface with the computer systems that are inside there. And they see evidence. They, they see evidence through the files in there that lead them to believe that they've been here many times over the course of uh, mankind. Yeah. M- yeah. Millennia. So it's the first one I can remember that would uh, make it sort of an ancient aliens type movie because they've been here since you know, millennia.
1: That's when I always loved the Marvel Comics was the idea of celestials having played a role in the development of the human race. When that's like the creation of the Eternals and of the creation of the Inhumans and things like that. But this idea that a lot of – or even just like the, the mutant gene, but that throughout the course of human history, going back to when we were Neanderthals, that there's been some fuckery from <laughs> uh, abroad to help us reach our full potential. And so yeah, if if we're the result of um, medical experiments by an alien race, I, I, I'm all for it. You were going to say
2: something about Adam about Hangar Eighteen? I mean, it's a it's a fun movie. I mean, it's it's certainly a dated film at this at this point, and yeah. it, it, it's it, it also I, it also it always felt to me to be a little bit, um, although I love it, a little bit TV movie ish. Like it, it it never felt like a real. Even though it was released theatrically, it felt more like something you would see on television. But I'm not saying –
1: I'm not – yeah, but it's not a bad
2: thing. It just didn't have a big budget. I think that's what I'm getting at. It was – Gotcha. uh,
1: Right. Close Encounters gets the –
3: I think most people that ever saw the movie saw it on TV.
2: Exactly. And that's where I saw it, of course. So (laughs) it's – I think you're right. I think it only made about $11 at the box office. Um, which is not actually that bad in 1980, <laughs> but it it certainly wasn't a blockbuster like Steven Spielberg uh, was was cranking out at that point in time.
1: What? This is just a total random question, but at what point would y'all say the UFO movie was most in vogue in terms of its just box office popularity? Well,
2: I, I mean I, that will that will get a little bit to what to my list if you want to segue, unless Moose wants to go into more detail about Hangar 18. No, 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 go and, ahead. <laughs> um, so what I did with my list is I decided decided to do was tackle this from a chronological standpoint. So this isn't necessarily the best to worst, but um, it's five movies that over the past 70 years, essentially, um, and I started with Earth versus the Flying Saucers. <laughs>
0: Flying saucers have invaded our planet. Washington, London, Paris, Moscow are key targets. The whole world is under attack. Can it survive? survivors of a disintegrated solar system. At this moment, the remainder of our fleet is circling your globe. What do you want with me? Arrange for your world leaders to confer with us in the city of Washington. They set up an electronic screen. The artillery doesn't penetrate. Never before has the screen reached such heights of excitement, breathtaking spectacle, hair-raising terror. See the saucer man's high frequency disintegrator. See flying saucers travel thousands of miles. In seconds, see great cities leveled by flying saucer monsters. Plus look.
1: The same kind of thing that's watched us since the beginning of the project.
0: People of Earth, attention. People of Earth, attention. This is a voice speaking to you from thousands of miles beyond your planet. They're coming down to take over. They made that clear to us in the saucer. To the best of our knowledge, my wife and I are the only ones left alive.
2: There's a number of films that involve UFOs at that point in cinema. Obviously, the the, the War of the Worlds film released by yep. Paramount that was
1: based on yeah, which which turned them from tripods and flying saucers. Yeah, and, and, of and saucers. That was
2: certainly based on the, the Orson Welles um, radio play. But oh, is it based well, on the radio
1: play, or is it, or was it a fresh adaptation it, of it, the H. Wells book? It was book.
2: an adaptation, but they certainly took you know a lot of it, inspiration obviously from you
1: know the i mean it's incredible thinking what orson welles accomplished with that like when you listen to it now like the way he blends you know background music and like random topics and then b- blends in the reports and the way it slowly unfolds but it's just it's a, one of the all-time great hollywood or not hollywood but it's halloween <laughs> pranks and it just shows how at any given point in history it's always hard to separate fact yeah from so yeah but if you listen to it from the beginning it's obvious like this is a mercury theater production blah 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 but people that tuned into it or caught it by accident like 5 minutes in were like what the fuck is and going on And it was also on? I think
2: 1938 right so this was a very different time yep. uh, yeah. and this was really before I mean this was before World War 2 before uh, uh, all the advancements in technology that had taken place during the war and
1: yeah probably before the term UFO yeah. had even been created cuz like I think H.G. Wells wrote his novel in the late 1890s, so the idea was of alien Martians. to Mars yeah. was part of part of fiction, but the term UFO yeah, that, had not. It was come more
2: of like this, the concept of Martians inv- invading the planet or something like that. Um, so yeah, so in the 50s you had a few of these really important films like War of the Worlds, uh, The Day the Earth Stood Still, which was sort of a um, which I, I've, I've always felt james cameron sort of remade with the abyss you know in uh, in an underwater setting uh at least if you watch the special edition as we discussed on our live stream and uh and then there was this film called earth versus the flying saucers and uh, which ray harryhausen famously uh, uh, contributed his stop-motion animation effects to and which Uh, are phenomenal even if you even for their for their time they were phenomenal but even looking at them now compared to some of the other work that had been done um earlier in the 50s it's you know where you can see wires hanging from the you know ships it's pretty incredible
1: yeah i mean stop motion there are no wires so that's the beautiful thing and it's incredible how much personality he's able to give to what should be inanimate objects like he to make a flying saucer have personality is almost impossible, but he finds a way to communicate emotion and menace and as you said because obviously once again, you're in stop motion, there's no camera movements, cameras locked in place and you have to be so clever with your composition and your framing. Harryhausen was just a, an absolute fucking genius. And uh, yeah, that movie is well worth hunting down, whether you're a skeptic believer or anything in between. There are
2: quite a few elements to it that are really ahead of their time in terms of some of the, um, the story elements in in how they uh you know they translating the alien language was is really you know inventive that there are just a lot of things that i think to even today watching it you'll watch and be like this this is where the first this is one of the first alien invasion movies really where we as a uh you know war of the worlds was more of like we were just being wiped out <laughs> essentially but this was yeah,
1: exactly. Before they get wiped out, but while, like, this is a one, sneeze. the first one where yeah.
2: we sort of had the humans had uh, some pre-knowledge of the the invasion and were able to sort of mount a counter-offensive, if you will, by developing the, these kind of I guess they were like sonic um, guns that you know destroyed the ships or was able to make them fall out of the sky. So it's uh, it's just a fun fun film. It's certainly not based in any <laughs> reality whatsoever. But um, it's a great place to start if you're interested in, in the UFO phenomenon and, just, and also just the history of UFO cinema and kind of how it's evolved. This is, I, I think, a really great starting point. And, you know, the 50s, as I said, had quite a few uh, films in this genre. But this is, you know, this along with those other two that I mentioned are kind of the high water marks. Um, you know, there's certainly some really bad ones like uh, Plan 9 from Outer Space and from Ed Wood and that, I mean, they're charming in their own way but they're not, uh, this one uh, I think is, uh, a really, a really good film to check out. And it's, it's based on a, a book actually from 1953 called flying saucers from outer space by major Donald Kehoe. So it's, uh, yeah, I haven't read the book, but I,
1: yeah, it's independence yeah, day, 40 independence, years before so independence you can't, day.
2: you sort of can't deny the influence that a film like this, uh, had on countless filmmakers,
1: Oh, like Tim yeah. Burton and the invasion from yeah. Mars, and all gonna be. Yeah, for decades, that movie has been having a massive impact on people yeah. without a doubt. So it, yeah, I guess my favorite alien invasion movie from the 50s might have to be the original version of mm, The Thing. Yeah. But.
2: And I guess you could technically there, say anyway, that's a that UFO that was, movie because they do form. uncover yeah. a craft. You know, it's never yeah. in the sky, but yeah. they do. Unearth a craft, which uh, yes, yeah, so we can, we can stretch time, to include that man. in our UFO topic. Like this is one of the challenges we were yeah, having. Yeah. Like, well, there's a lot of yeah. alien movies that yeah. don't involve UFOs. Yeah. So as long as there's a UFO
1: somewhere in the film, we can include it in our. Yeah, Guardians of the Galaxy is not a UFO movie. Although he does get abducted is, as a kid perfect. at the beginning. So that first scene with mm. Peter Quill. It's almost like a and, UFO and movie. is—it's right uh, like
2: a little bit of Starman, you know. She, he's the son of.
1: Uh, Ooh, Starman! I didn't even yeah. think about that. That might be like the all-time great. I, that might. This is heresy to even say, but I'm—I've only seen Starman a few times, whereas I've seen Close Encounters yeah. a billion times. But something that's fresher that you haven't worn out by overuse, sometimes you might be inclined to say, "Oh, it's even better." But yeah, Starman is really, really fucking good it's
2: not on my list. It's one of my honorable mentions, but I'll just say that, you know, with Jeff Bridges announcing that he has lymphoma, I'm just, I, I felt obligated to, to give a shout out to what a great
1: performance. He, he, the dude abides, he did a, he, he a will stellar get job this. in
2: that performance. No pun intended,
1: but it's one of yeah. his personal favorites as well. So, all right, moves with the balls back in your court. What weirdness do you have in store for okay. us? Okay, Do you like cats? Sure. I, I actually, I, I'm a recent convert. My sister has five cats and I've kind of, I'm, I'm, with I, all of them.
2: I like them, but I'm, deathly allergic to them so.
3: <laughs> oh so yeah. You know, if an alien invasion from them came uh, it wouldn't be good for you but yeah cats from outer space oh 1978 disney movie
0: My name is Zunar j 5 slash 9 Doric 47 Get me the Pentagon. Red priority. You, you're a cat. He's the cat from outer space. You're serious? I'm serious. While you and I are talking, this very minute, some slimy, green-headed, 12-legged creep could be crawling into the White House. You're trying to tell me that your little pussycat came from another planet, from another galaxy, in a spacecraft, and landed right here on Earth. You're up against genius. I gotta tell you something, pal. It's dumb. Very dumb. Ken Berry. McLean Stevenson. Now that's dumb. Holy cow. <laughs> Sandy Duncan. It's a spacey comedy that'll boggle your mind. It is mind-boggling. The man who owns the secret of this device could control the universe. You are under arrest. And the pussycat, General. And the pussycat. (laughs) Got his paws on the power. The power that cat possesses is awesome.
1: You betcha, Charlie. And if you know what's good for you, you'll land this thing and let Lucy Bellamy. Quiet. Catch. Okay. Who's
0: flying that plane? <laughs> Walt Disney Productions. The Cat from Outer Space. I'm serious.
1: Oh, you're not fucking with me. This is actually a real movie. Look,
2: <laughs> you, you got me. This is one I've not seen. Seriously. Oh. Oh
3: man. See, I was supposed to rebound off this so that. Don't have to know everything. Oh, about it's it. The Cat the from cat.
1: Outer Space, 1978. Yeah, it's a real movie. Norman yeah. Tokars, written by yeah. Ted Key. It, it, it exists. The yeah. Cat. <laughs>
3: starts, uh, oh. uh, don't, don't, don't let it confuse you. This is an incredibly serious movie. All right. Things are on the line. Not really. Um, it stars <laughs> uh, Ken Berry. And actually, if you look in the IMDb list, uh, and if you were familiar with TV, around that time period, like the, the 70s time period, you'd recognize almost all the people in it.
2: Yep. Oh, Roddy McDowell, yeah, Roddy there you McDowell,
3: go. McLean Stevens, um, mm. lots of people. And uh, it's, it's, uh, it's a cat, it's a spaceship, lands, and mm-hmm. uh, and the, the government gets a hold of it. The, uh, the person that, or the being that was flying the spaceship, It you know, his form is that of a cat. And he meets up with uh, Ken Berry, who is one of the scientists that uh, he's got uh, some crazy theories about how, you know, how the, the ship works or whatever. And they like, nah, we don't want to. Harry Morgan, you know, from MASH. He's like, get out of here. And uh, so the, uh, the, the cat sees that and the cat is like, oh, I can talk to this human. And the cat has a special collar around his neck that lights up and he's allowed to he's able to telepathically speak with uh, Ken Barry. And whoever else he wants to.
2: It, it's strange as you describe this. I feel like I've seen part of this on television and never knew what I was watching. <laughs> you probably era of this generation <laughs> where we would just turn on the TV in the 80s or whatever. And, and you would just, something was like, oh, this kind of looks interesting. You just start watching it and you never knew what it was, right? You're just like, I don't, I never saw the beginning, so I didn't know what the title is. And yeah. just kind of watch it and then maybe you get interrupted and you know so i i feel like some of those elements sound familiar well
3: it's also got a famous scene in there uh where ken Berry's riding a motorcycle and he's trying to escape from the base because they the the cat wants to get back to its spaceship uh and he's trying to escape from the base and the cat is in a, a sort of a basket on the front of the motorcycle and the cat has teleconnected powers as well and he Makes the 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 motorcycle fly in the air over the the gate of the base, and it's very reminiscent of E.T. in the basket.
2: But this came first. This came first. Yeah. Oh. Yeah. Oh, that's Spielberg! Always ripping off Disney. <laughs> <laughs> wow. So
3: uh, Spielberg didn't get all his ideas from the, right. the Men in Black. He right.
2: also got them from.
3: Ken Berry.
1: So real quick, when it comes to Spielberg, I know that he was a giant UFO buff for a long time. And as he got older, became less so because he felt like because as our as our technology improved and our ability to capture images of UFOs improved, that we were seeing fewer unexplained phenomena, either in film and photographs, etc. As folks who are more invested in this than I, what do you say to people say, well, everybody's got a movie studio in their pocket now? How come we're not getting UFA? U- How come we don't have UFO footage just coming out of our buttholes at this point?
3: <laughs> Go
2: ahead, Adam. Okay. Ahead. Sure. Well, first of all, I'll say that I think that Spielberg um, is still a believer. I think that he has had close contact with everyone for, uh, that you can imagine within the government, uh, and as as well as uh, presidents, and he knows information that um, he probably isn't allowed to talk about. I think he is. is playing an important role in slowly uh, sort of disseminating Disseminating. information in a way that people become acclimated to it. And for that ultimate unveil, when we finally are all told the truth, uh, we will be less shocked by the news because we've been prepped for it for 70 years by Hollywood. And so I think Spielberg knew... A lot back when he was making Close Encounters, he knew, and it was based upon a, a true event. Uh, it that is r- reported to be so um, called Project Serpo, where a, a, a group of of, uh, of human astronauts were exchanged with with an alien race, and they actually traveled back to their planet. And um, several of them died, according to the reports. Uh, some of several of the humans, uh, and then some of the other ones. They did return many years later, but they also didn't live very long. So uh, there's no uh, uh, remaining survivors from that, from that mission, according to the reports. Again, not claiming that it's all factual, but there has been information that's been leaked out about that. And then there are the reports that Spielberg showed Ronald Reagan, the uh, film E.T. in the White House screening room. And uh, as they were watching, watching the film, Reagan leaned over to Spielberg and whispered in his ear and said, uh, only a few people in in this room know how true this story really is. So, um, you know, people can say these are false, you know, uh, reports, but a lot of people have corroborated uh, these stories over the years. And, uh, yeah, so I think Spielberg, in a nutshell, is being cagey now as he gets older because he's probably uh in on the secret and he has to be careful about what he says and maybe early on he wasn't so much and was was where he was but he was given free reign to (laughs) tell his tales in order to acclimate the public to the 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 events that would be unfolding uh in the future
3: and yeah they're like they're like whoa whoa
2: spielberg slow down
0: yeah exactly (laughs) Come on, You're
2: telling now. them a little too much. <laughs> All right, let's let's back up a little bit. And he um, did revisit the subject, you know, with War of the Worlds in 2005. So he didn't completely abandon the genre.
1: Yeah, but that's more of like it was almost, apart from yeah. the setting or the era, it was almost just like a back to basics adaptation of a book right. that was over True. 100 years old at that point. So it wasn't yeah, like he was, was building upon what he'd already established with uh, Close Encounters and ET. And it no, feels like well, ET and Close I, Encounters feel like they come from the same family.
2: Yeah, he didn't write something yeah. new. Like Close Encounters was an original story that he he's he, you know, he wrote and directed. So
1: anyway, that's 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 my take. All right, very cool. What is your neck what is your pick? What is there anything that you could possibly add that's better than the cat from outer space from nineteen seventy eight? Oh, uh, back to me. on Back that. to okay. you, absolutely. So
2: I'll, be, I'll be quick with this one, but uh so uh, I'll just say that I jumped then from the 50s. I thought about the 60s, and I couldn't really think of anything outside of, say, 2001, A Space Odyssey, which is sort of a UFO. But there is an unidentified...
1: Planet od- of the Vampires, man. Uh, Mario oh,
2: Baba. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I skipped over that one. But uh, then you jump into the 70s, of course, and there are a number of interesting films, uh, obviously Close Encounters. But I decided to, to not focus on that as i mentioned earlier and jump to the early 80s with what i consider to be a television movie uh, or miniseries v the original miniseries
1: oh wow very cool tonight is your chance to
0: see how it all began to relive the excitement that is v the most extraordinary miniseries ever a daring tv journalist struggling to uncover the startling truth behind the aliens visit to earth and a beautiful and brave young scientist fighting for the very survival of the human race. Together, they take you on a fantastic journey to meet the visitors. Prepare yourself for a television event that's out of this world. Prepare for The Next.
2: I felt that I consider this to be a film, and it's just a two-part television film. And then, of course, there's The Final Battle, which adds three additional uh, episodes if you want to see like the complete miniseries. But... Um, Kenneth Johnson had a lot of issues with the studio in this, those three in, in the second Final Battle miniseries. So he sort of feels like those first two episodes, those first two uh, installments are the, the only true ones that he approved of. So a lot of people sort of look at those, because he actually wrote a book in 2008 where he continued the story the way he intended it to be, sort of forgetting everything that happens in the final battle or, or in the subsequent TV series that 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 spawned as well. Um, but this, of course, for those who don't know about it, was a 1983 miniseries uh, on, uh, I think it was NBC.
1: It wrecked and, me as a kid. You know, I haven't seen know. it since then. I saw bits and pieces back then. It shattered me when that fucking baby was born with like the four-tongue, and I was like, oh, my God! Yeah. But I almost don't want to go back and watch it in its entirety because those memories are so intense and so powerful that I I don't know if seeing it now at age 44 could ever be as close to as traumatizing as I was at that age. (laughs) It was kind of
3: must-see TV at that time. Yeah, Yeah, 100%. It was was an event. Even at
1: age 7, I was aware of the fact that this was a pop culture event that everybody was talking about.
2: I think they said that 40% of people with televisions in 1983 watched it you know, on its first airing. I mean, that's massive. That's huge. Population of the, you know, anyway, uh, the only thing I want to add is that, so first of all, for those who don't know, it's about an alien invasion, of course. And they, they, they're, they're believed to be um, welcoming visitors, you know, that, that from outer (laughs) space, but. Under it's their like, skin are are they're they're essentially reptilian creatures that are here to harvest humans and steal our water and all of this, you know, our resources. Those like
1: eat people as well. Like I remember, this one yeah. scene where they freeze somebody for like for travel or something like that. And I remember, at once again, I just like this is fucking terrifying. <laughs> yeah. they,
2: for those who haven't seen it, it in a remarkable turn of events, the Warner Archive Collection actually restored it, the original film negatives into HD and put it out on Blu-ray. So you can actually watch it in widescreen, like a movie. And so it's a great, and it looks beautiful. It looks like it was shot yesterday. You know when it, when they that's what's beautiful about film. When you go back and find those, you can always restore negative, it. Yeah, you can
1: make it look it like 100 it could be a hundred years old. If you restore it, it looks gorgeous. It's in it 10K better, resolution. Yeah,
2: better than it ever looked on you know TV in our 20 inch living screens in our living
1: rooms. Now, we is kids. there any uh, homage to the Twilight episode? Uh, Twilight Zone episode to serve man? Uh, I mean, I, I, there's no doubt that this could could have taken inspiration
2: from that. But I, I think that's got
1: to be one it, of the all time great TV UFO stories. Yeah. Uh, I think
2: overall, though, it it it's more than anything an allegory for you know for 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 fascism for not for well for Nazi Germany, World War II. Everything pretty much mirrors uh, the events yeah. that happened in World War II. Whether it was the the Hitler Youth, you know, um, whether it was the persecution in, in this, you know, obviously in the for, in the war it was the Jews, but in this film it was the scientists because they were the only ones that knew something was going on and, and they were being rounded up and, you know, uh, and, and essentially taken away, uh, to camps. So there's just a lot of like, it's a good history lesson for anybody that, um, wants to see, you know, draw those parallels between, uh, World War II. And yeah, if
3: you didn't, if you didn't know what that show was, and if their suits were not red, like just kind of a normal color, yeah. When they were walking around, they were all buttoned up, and they got these little black hats on, and their glasses and stuff. They they do look very much like that. Like they mm-hmm. would be Nazis or something like that.
2: Even their uh, their like emblem, their logo, is very uh, it, it, you know it's a, mm. it, reminiscent of you know the swastika. It just it's obviously different enough. But um, and there was a famous marketing campaign uh, for those who are interested in that in, in the eighties. They plastered you know subways and bus stops with these pictures of these of these visitors you know wearing uh, those red uniforms with the sunglasses on but there was no mention of what it was for and what they actually did is right before uh, the show aired they spray painted the v across all the posters uh,
1: to, <laughs> That's to awesome.
2: add to it to kind of change Great. it so people knew that these were visitors coming you know and, of course, the miniseries takes it a step further. And, and as they win, as they, as they have victories against these, these reptilian invaders, they turn the V into some, you know, this V symbolizes victory as opposed to visitor. But uh, it's, a, it's a fun early 80s continuation of the alien invasion genre.
1: And didn't Film 89 do a giant one with uh, Bill Scurry and John Armenia all about the show?
2: I think so, but I haven't, I haven't had a chance to listen to it. I'm so backed up in my, my podcasting. Uh, yeah.
3: Um, you know, it, it, also at that same time, I think on TV I saw that Mark Singer was on there, and yeah. I was already a fan of Mark Singer from uh, Beastmaster. <laughs> <laughs> yeah.
1: If you're not a fan of Beastmaster, then you can lose my phone number.
3: <laughs> <laughs> and, a great uh, film. Also, uh, I, I'd seen... Uh, Mark Singer on uh, it was a movie I'd seen on HBO called uh, If You Could See What I Hear, and so I see him on there, and I'm like, oh, I've got to watch this. But also, I don't know how you 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 both have seen, him, of course. They are not friendly. Those those aliens are not friendly towards the alien cats <laughs> because there's a scene where the one lady is eating a cat whole. Yeah, yeah I've
2: seen the guest. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. I think Scary – Posted are, that. Yeah, <laughs> It's one of the most famous um, moments, if you will, uh, aside from the the initial reveal of the skin being peeled off.
1: I mean, the there's children. a similar scene a few years later in the. It's a ridiculous movie, but it actually, even still, scared me when I was like twelve. But invaders from Mars, and there's a teacher swallowing frogs, like in yes! the uh, in the dissection yes! room or whatever. And yeah, I well, remember just. I was not just, on my list, but it yeah, came I was close. just young yeah. enough where that really got to me and upset me. That's a good one. <laughs> that was Toby Hooper, right? <laughs> yeah. I think so. Yeah, I think it was. Hang on, let me check. Invaders from Mars. I believe it was. It. Was, it I think it was part of the whole Canon uh, Canon Film Group uh, era of, the, of oh, his, yeah. his contract. Uh, nurse Ratched. Yeah, it was, it was Toby yes. Hooper because Toby Hooper did that, Life Force, and Texas Chainsaw Massacre 2, all for Canon Films. And I think each one performed worse than the one that preceded. But Dan O'Bannon helped write it. Sci-fi legend. From
3: what's Nurse Ratched's name? Her. Uh... We just saw her on the team detective
1: Louise Fletcher, yeah, Louise Fletcher, Fletcher, I
3: think she plays the teacher in that one.
1: Gotcha, I don't know I, I, once again, I've not seen it since 1986 when it came out, so I was ten. I saw it in the theater with my dad, and but all uh, she has to do is look at you and it's scary oh yeah she's uh, she's, she's 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 intimidating. All right, <laughs> well, the ball's back in your court let's what's your number three, Mr. Matson?
3: Oh, back to me oh, uh hmm, what was my number three uh, all my all mine seem goofy now. <laughs> my, my, my my number three, uh, and when and we were coming up with this list, we, we were trying to get UFO movies, and I was like, oh, there's alien invasion movies, there's UFO movies, there's like big conspiracy, like uh, government uh, movies. Uh, and then I was like, oh, what about Escape to Witch Mountain, 1975?
0: The engine will start now. <laughs> Those two kids are witches. Find them. Now from Walt Disney Productions. A motion picture of unearthly power. Escape to which mountain? Well, yeah. you have power. Well, I want to be able to understand these powers. Their only hope is escape to which mountain? Rated G.
3: They, the, the Tony and Tia, Another remembers th- Tia because she got blown away by the next to the ice cream truck in, in uh, Assault on Precinct 13.
1: And she was in a ton of sitcoms as a, uh, in, the, in the early '80s as well. So yeah, I was I was I had a big crush on her long before I saw her get shot in Assault and Racing right. Thirteen.
3: <laughs> Later on, I saw her in this summer camp movie, and she was a little like a teenager, and I, I was a teenager, and I was like, "Ooh, hey, that's she's she's <laughs> she's yeah, turning she out she good." she
1: was definitely a little hottie at the time without a doubt. <laughs> uh,
3: but *Escapes uh, at Winch Mountain* (1975). I can't even imagine. I can't even uh, say how many times I've seen that movie. I, I just love it to death. And, uh, and you don't know it with a name like escape to Witch mountain uh, I see on my little list here. I've even spelled witch wrong. I hate that. But, uh, which mountain is it? The hell was it? I, I just went off on a tangent. I forgot.
1: Oh, you're <laughs> going to say, well, it was, seems uh, like you're not even aware seem, that it might be a UFO movie. It might be like, it doesn't, a, doesn't seem like, like it's an alien movie. Yeah. You escape to Witch
3: mountain. You're like, what is this? Some sort of supernatural movie. And, uh, and then you realize that these two kids, they have powers, you know, uh, they have secret powers, uh, you know, uh, one guy, they, they both have telekinetic powers, one more than the other. And the other one is more of a, uh, telepathic and they don't even know where they're from or why they have these powers. So, so, you know, we're just like them. We're completely in the dark. And uh, it's got a lot of great people in there. Eddie Albert is in it, and
1: uh, is it sense- spooky like Village of the Damned is? When, when, when that kind of alien invasion, or is it more have, innocent and friendly?
3: Have you never seen it?
1: I've never seen it. No, I, I've always <laughs> avoided it because I thought it was like a stupid Disney movie, so I, I, I've never watched it. <laughs> no, I so, yeah. it's a,
3: it's a, Donald Pleasance is in it. Yeah, and it's there. You go. If Donald Pleasance is in the movie. You watch the movie. There's a, I think there's a point where he's actually got a cat in his hands too. So,
2: well, did I, you're making me realize how entrenched Disney Disney was in the UFO phenomenon in the '70s. It's, uh, no, oh, and Black Hole. Well, that's not a UFO, but that's a science fiction film. Yeah, that's like,
3: uh-huh. no, no, no aliens in that one. No, no. We're just, the aliens.
2: Just, in that one. Um, yes. I guess sentient robots, I don't know yeah. would
1: y'all consider the original village of the dam to be in this same subgenre? We've never seen these ships, but they're obviously <sighs> the they've always, they're obviously the product of being and you know humans being impregnated by, by alien seed for a future invasion
3: yeah, I completely forgot anything about that movie. I remember seeing it, but I, oh, I it's couldn't creepy anything as anything about hell it. And yeah.
1: Really well done. And it's one of my, it's, we talked about on the uh, creepy kids in horror episode that I did uh, a couple of years back, but man, it's once again, you're only, you're seeing the after effects after an entire mm-hmm. village has been seeded. But as you learn later on, these villages have been seeded all over the world. And every village or every nation is reacting differently. Some nations are just burning the villages to the ground. Some are like treating them like gods. But yeah, but a fascinating sci fi movie. That's
3: not the one with Superman, is it?
2: No, which I recently watched for the first time and Mm. sort of in preparation. Man, what a misfire. Wait, wait, Uh, what movie? Oh, when they read when John Carpenter remade it. Oh, yeah, it. I never saw the remake. Remakes. I only saw the original. Yeah. yeah, I I literally just watched it a couple of weeks ago in preparation. Just I was just consuming any UFO, right. any, <laughs> You know, film I hadn't seen that I I've always wanted to see, and I I've, I've seen every John Carpenter film, but somehow this movie, uh, I missed it. And that's and the beginning of the slide. He, yeah, starting yeah.
1: in the early mid '90s, John Carpenter, he would still have the occasional cool one like um. Oh, what was the uh, it was, just, it was just called Vampire, the Vampire Hunter one? Oh,
2: in 2000, he had John Carpenter's Vampires, yeah, 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 yeah. John Carpenter's Vampires. That yeah. one
1: I really enjoyed, but it comes later, it comes later in the cycle. Yeah. But obviously, his heyday was mid 70s to like night, like to late 80s, but still, what yeah. a cycle, yeah,
2: yeah. But yeah, what a weird cast with Mark Hamill and Christopher Reeve and Kirstie Alley. It's like, what's, what's happening here? Well, like, why, it,
3: yeah, it sounds like a movie I really want to watch, I, I know,
2: know but... it just doesn't quite gel, you know, it doesn't quite work um as well as the especially because it's based on uh,
1: you know a classic a yeah, classic
2: but... so it it always has something to live up to whereas almost every other film he made was an original concept, you Speaking know. Speaking of and,
1: Carpenter, y'all got all excited about Prince of Darkness prior to uh, this. Uh, cool. Any additional comments on Prince of, Prince of Darkness and how it relates to this subgenre?
2: Yeah, I would I just Having not watched it in a long time, I never really caught on to the fact when no. they're uh, when they're discussing when they're when they're translating the ancient texts they it, they re, they reveal that the texts state that uh, Jesus Christ was of extraterrestrial origin, um, but of a of of a race that was very similar to like a humanoid race, very similar to ours. They looked like us, but they were like an ancient race. So it, it that sort of implies the ancient aliens or ancient ancient astronauts theory that that humanity was was sort of pushed in the right direction uh, at various key points uh, through individuals that may, in fact, uh, be aliens, but are Uh, are real figures in our history.
1: I'm going to combine that theory with another conspiracy theory. I hear all the drug fans love to share this one. A lot of them believe that human evolution was jump-started by eating hallucinogenic mushrooms in certain regions and that those that didn't were left behind and swiftly exterminated by their smarter counterparts. But what if, if we were smoking weed, this would sound great, what if aliens came to our world, planted the shrooms, for humans to feed upon, which then jump started the evolution. So you're tying together multiple, like, it's like conspiracy theories within conspiracy theories. It's like 16 <laughs> conspiracy you're talking, theories. You're talking <laughs> Attack of the Mushroom People. That's exactly. what Exactly. <laughs> yeah, I think I just pitched the next billion dollar movie. Well, Adam, I think yeah. the ball is back in your court now. What is your name? Well, actually, yeah.
3: Actually, here we, <laughs> this is what we did last time. Actually, wait, wait, wait. Go ahead. No, uh, I didn't even get to the point where you realized that they're aliens in Escape from which Mountain. Yeah. So they're they trying to get to a place. He, she's got a star case and it gets jostled and it slides open and you realize that there's a map and there's a map to this place called Stony Creek. And they start, they start getting flashes of memories of being in a shipwreck and they end up uh, looking for uh, the name of castaways because that was kind of like the name they were given. And they, they manage to get help to get back to where they're going in a big RV that Eddie Albert has, and uh, and these other people, Donald Pleasance and his boss, are after after them. But at the end, they're in telepathic uh, communication with somebody that they know, that Uncle Benu. Uh, and he says he says, "Oh, just let them come. We've got them. We'll take care of them." And they race to this point, and all of a sudden, this big massive UFO comes out. And uh, and picks them up and takes them away, and flies off. And uh, the bad guys see that, and they're like, "Oh, geez, well, that's it." And they turn around and leave. And then they come back again, and they have the uh, the, the rest of the communication they're going to have with uh, Eddie Albert. But it's it's, it's, it's definitely well, a
1: UFO. Movie. Have you seen any of the? Sequels and/or remakes. Cause I'm seeing here, Return from Witch Mountain, 1978. I'm seeing Escape to Witch Mountain, a TV movie, 1995, and then yeah. 2009 with The Rock, Race right. to yeah. Witch Mountain. Yeah. Are any of these? Uh, uh, you of know course? what?
3: You know what? There's only one of those I've partially seen, which is the '70s one. It's uh, Return, which is the same two kids, and Christopher Lee is in it as as the bad guy. And oh wow! So I was like, oh, I really need to see this. And for whatever reason I can't explain, I just haven't watched
2: it. I I you know, have not seen the sequels either. I did did see the the rock movie. <laughs> <laughs> nice. I kind of was like, no, it, it wasn't anything I would recommend. Fair it enough. Wasn't
1: horrible. Oh, you got Betty got Davis seen, in there. It was Betty Wild Davis and everything. Kim Richards in Return from Witch Mountain. Yeah, you got well, a Kim Richards. Legend.
3: That's her name. Yeah. Oh, yeah, Kim Richards. You know, they cutie yeah. pie. Yeah, they want it, and nowadays they want to be like, "Oh, we can take that property that came out in the '70s, and we can introduce all kinds of crazy special effects to make it bigger and better, and it's going to be incredible." It's like, no, you yeah, don't it's
1: like need they that. they tried that with the Haunting and the Haunting of Hill House and that sort of thing, and it's like, you know what? Well, it's a weird thing where, like, the Haunting uh, from Hill House, when like, the or I guess just the Haunting from 1960, the Robert Wise one was great. Yeah, then the, the cheesy se- one. They did the cheesy CGI one with Catherine Zeta-Jones in the late 90s. That was terrible. Mm-hmm. But then they did a really good fucking Netflix show, The Haunting from Hill House, which scared the piss out of me. So, <laughs> yeah, n- not everything has to be sacred. Sometimes you can remake something and make it really, really good.
3: Now, I have to say that uh, the other one uh, with Catherine Zeta-Jones, uh, I, I say this all the time, that uh, movies aren't all bad. There's good stuff in it. Mm. But, I mean, production value in that one. Everything looked gorgeous the the house looked gorgeous. Uh, the, all the sets were just beautiful, and I could just watch it for that. Yeah.
2: The only downside to that film, I mean, that was at a point where CG was still maturing, and it's the CG effects look a little, a little. They dated were such a gimmick. Oh yeah, late nineties, yeah. mm. th- we had the the, per- the, the CGI gimmick
1: but... craze, and it was all new. Yeah. And the, a lot <laughs> of those movies have aged unfavorably. Only a few, like Starship Troopers, came out in that same time period. It yeah. Still looks incredible. It's like, still looks the, great. Like, how yeah. the fuck did y'all pull that off, making the aliens look that good 22 years ago? It, that movie hasn't aged a day, but that's an alien movie, not a UFO movie. So, I'm going to smack yeah. the tennis ball back to Adam's <laughs> out of the court. All right. Well, number
2: three, so, what do you got for us? 90, so, uh,
1: building on going in chronological order, as I said,
2: I, I would do, we move on from 1983. There's a string of really great, fun. Um, movies that I enjoyed as when I was younger from Starman, as I mentioned, there was Flight of the Navigator, there was Explorers with Ethan Hawke, uh, and then there were a few. Um, these are just sort of honorable mentions, if you will. There were a few uh, alien abduction movies, which became pretty big after a book called Communion came out. Yeah. in
1: 1986. Well, it had that great cover and that great poster. Yeah. And I think yeah. that ignited the imagination of an entire generation. Exactly. So that movie, which didn't
2: do well and was sort of ridiculed for Christmas. I never Waltz. saw
1: it because I was like, there's well, no way it could be as good as that poster. But the poster yeah. I found <laughs> to be fascinating.
2: Yeah. And then, of course, there was a movie called Fire in the Sky. about the. I saw that in the
1: theater. Well, so did I. I did. Yeah. Yep. Fire, I got uh, a quick story about Fire in the Sky, which I love. Yeah, but when I saw ahead. it in the theater, and I remember at the time thinking, oh, this is fine, whatever. And then it got to the end where you actually see the abduction. And it suddenly becomes like the coolest sci fi horror film that yeah. you've ever seen. And it was just traumatizing as hell. In particular, when they put him down in the slab, and they're at first kind of being gentle, but then you realize he's trapped under that gossamer iron like sheet and then exposing his eye. But what really got me. Is when they throw that like handful of black glop in his mouth, and he goes
0: like,
1: and he starts like kind of dry heaving, and I started, I was like, puked in my mouth right there in the theater. But flash forward a couple years later, I'm at home watching it on cable, and my little brother, who was a toddler at the time, little (laughs) Billy Armfield, is in his thirties now. But he walked in, Mm -hmm. I was like, you know what? I'm just going to let him see this and see what happens. And that, and that bit starts coming up and uh, the black glop gets thrown in the mouth. And right on cue, he turns away from the screen and just goes, Wah! like he just <laughs> tears streaming down his face. Like, it totally got him. So sorry, Billy, for that zonk that I, I allowed to happen to you, but oh, I just great. couldn't resist.
2: Yeah. No, it, it, I, it, was, a, it was a good theatrical experience to, to, to have that. And again, a, as, as many people pointed out, that ending was a Hollywood ending. It really doesn't reflect what Travis Walton claims happened to him. It was uh, embellishment, which it's fine. It's a, it's a fun, it was movie. the
1: money shot. They needed a money shot. Yeah. Other people would have been asked for their money back.
2: Exactly. They needed something to make it a, a good piece of entertainment. And they did. And, and from, right. for that from that point of view, it's a fun, entertaining, you know, science fiction film based loosely on events that, that took place uh, in the 70s. Um, so it is something I would recommend checking out. But the film that I picked um, is one that I had recommended. It's, it came in 1994. It's called Roswell, and it was a Showtime original film uh, that I saw when it first aired. And this was the film that kind of actually opened my eyes uh, and really piqued my interest because it made me see the, the possibilities of what these cover-ups were, were were causing, you know, what what was really being um, kept from us.
0: Roswell, New Mexico, in 1947. This local rancher just brought in a whole lot of, I don't know what you call it, but he claims it all came down at his place and the sheriff thinks it might be something you guys sent up. Our government encountered something something you know top secret beyond our capacity to understand couldn't have been anything of ours I mean how in the hell was that thing held together look at this a power so terrifying it's as light as a feather I mean what the hell are we dealing with here is it friendly is it hostile a secret so dangerous from now on you're not to talk to anyone about this that includes your family that rancher was threatened, the sheriff was threatened, They threatened me. What the hell is this? It could forever change the world as we know it. What if people think that we are not in control of the skies? They'd be right. Nobody is going to take you seriously, not without proof. Now, it's time you learned the truth. I saw the bodies. My bodies. Now, at last... You will believe. You may be the first person in human history ever to see writing from another world. It wasn't a lie. It
1: was a lie.
0: I know what I saw, and it was not from this world.
1: You have nothing.
0: Martin Sheen. Kyle McLaughlin. Roswell.
2: So it's a film uh, that has really a, a, a really great cast for a showtime. This is before cable TV was oh, the really. the cast is busy.
1: outrageous. It's like yeah. Xander Berkeley yeah. and fucking yeah. Martin Sheen and Kyle MacLachlan. I mean, it's a the list goes on and on.
2: Yeah, and and um, Bob Gunton, who was in Shawshank Redemption. Yeah, uh, yeah it's just got, uh, uh, what's his name, who's in uh, the The Untouchables. Charles Martin Smith is in there. Uh, um, and uh, who plays Max Brazel? What's his name? Uh, the the country. Oh, Dwight
3: Yoakam. Dwight Yoakam,
2: yeah. Um, Always so, amazing to see him. And this, if you don't know, is based again based on a book, but it's it's based on the events uh, of 1947 when uh, a UFO reportedly crashed um, outside of of really it's Corona, um, New Mexico, not Roswell, but Roswell is the closest populated town, and uh, this young um major, Marcel, uh, worked at the, the Air Force base nearby where they were testing the atomic bombs. And uh, he was one of the first people called to investigate when this rancher named Max Brazel, played by Dwight Yoakam, um, reports that something crashed on his property. And he goes out and sees fragments of this object that were made of lightweight metals that he reported, you know— a, Some of them had writing kind of hieroglyphics on them that he reported that you could like crunch them up in a ball and they would they would essentially regain their original shape um, on their own, almost as if they had sort of intelligence to them. So these were obviously not um, things that he would have recognized being um, parts of any American uh, missile or aircraft. Um, but he unfortunately was made to be the fall guy in this. And was. And this actually got reported in the papers. He reported that something, a UFO, an unidentified flying object, crashed. And the local papers reported this. And it got it picked up all over the world. But essentially, uh, 24 hours later, he had to uh, pose for a photograph stating that this was all a weather balloon. It's a very famous story. But he mis- sort of misidentified the the debris, uh, which uh, um, was nothing like a weather balloon. balloon, uh, And, uh, you know, he essentially becomes haunted by this. Um, he is shut out at that point and doesn't know anything else about what happened. And the film essentially um, takes place in uh, the late 70s, 30 years after these events occurred. And he kind of goes on this, this journey that Kyle McLaughlin plays this character, to uncover what really happened in, in during that period of time, when he was, you know, essentially taking the fall for this uh, for this event, and it's sort of like a bit of a, a, a Rashomon kind of uh, uh, experience where he he hears different stories, different pieces of information from different people that witnessed different things. Some of them don't um, line up, which is actually a good thing, I think. It shows that we don't know the whole truth, and but. He, In general, he learns a lot. He he pieces together um, a lot of what happens, and we kind of see and witness some of these. It's almost
1: like on a much smaller budget like the jfk of ufo movies when it comes to right. trying to piece together a conspiracy and the same way you have like that scene with donald pleasance and kevin Coster and jfk you have a very similar scene with martin sheen and Kyle lachlan and so yeah i thought it was hey, uh, exactly. yeah i'd never seen the movie prior to you sharing a link to it and i thought it was pretty goddamn cool and i love the scene where somebody almost through like telepathic projection is starting to get the idea that not only are have these aliens been around for a while that they're there are other ones out there and they've got different interests and their interests are not necessarily in alignment. I was like, Ooh, that's really like setting my imagination ablaze about these, these, like these possibilities.
2: So like he, yeah, he says like, he's basically been taken. Oh, I think it's, it's forestall right. Moose, is that who it was? It was, um, mm-hmm. it was famously part of the MJ 12 um, and died by suicide or, or whatever, you know, there it's, it's hard to, to know what really happened but oh he, yeah
3: that was the guy who played by eugene roche in the movie
2: exactly yeah. yeah and and he yeah he essentially gets he sees this dying alien um mm. that we in, in, like in an underground bunker in, in a mountain and it like captures h- him telepathically and starts telling him that that there's more coming many more all different species all different you know um uh, with different intentions and be ready, be prepared. Like this, essentially, was a friendly um, alien observing us. But there are many co- more coming.
1: Yeah, and it's- I, I, for a highly evolved civilization, I imagine they would look upon us the way we would look at like bacteria on a slide under a microscope. Yep. And yeah. so it's like, yeah, it might be fun to get probed by an alien invaders and whatnot. But <laughs> the others just might say, you know what, we're gonna take the core of your planet and. Peace out, like see y'all yeah, exactly. yeah. later. We we need some weird aura at the bottom, but we don't. We're just gonna leave your planet like a lifeless husk and have, have fun with what we what we leave behind. You know
3: yeah. that scene of the uh, the telepathic or the alien reaching out to him telepathically and yeah. doing that. Uh, as soon as I saw it, it reminded me of uh, the uh, Independence Day mm. when the thing wrapped around uh, with Brent Spiner. Brent Spiner, yeah, that's right. That's yeah, true. He was, yeah. able to, he was able to communicate with them that way.
2: Yeah. Yeah. So it it's something that's hard. It's not really readily available. I actually had to find a DVD copy from 2001 on eBay uh, that Lionsgate put out and rip it <laughs> and <laughs> upload it to my Vimeo account to share it with the two of you. Well,
1: um, if you anyone to listened, do a side by side comparison to yeah. the Alien and Baby Yoda because Baby Yoda and the oh. Alien actually look very similar. Instead of the ears, he's got like kind of like big like swell, like kind of swollen glands with the eyes and the face are very similar. <laughs> yeah. I thought
3: they did a really good job with the alien in that one.
1: Yeah. I mean, for a low, relatively That's low right. budget, I think they did a, a really,
2: they made that budget work for the film pretty well for 1994. And uh, it was um, the, uh, for me that the scene that always gave me the, like the creeps when this, when I watched it a few times when it first came out was when they're doing the, the alien autopsy on one of them and like the the nurse who apparently witnessed it and then suddenly one of the dead ones <laughs> reaches out and grabs one of the the people and he goes this one's alive <laughs>
1: <laughs> oh my god, that thing just like it but even because cool the details uh, of how everybody's gagging and they're like the smell is so oh, overpowering everybody's like Ugh. and so yeah just little tactile details like that really help bring the scene to life yeah and then and then
2: at the end of the film there's sort of this is where like you have to Take it with a grain of salt. There's a scene where Jesse Marcel is sort of pulled into a, a like a it was not it was a like a hangar and like an empty hangar on a, a military base. And this mysterious character who calls himself Townsend, played by Martin Sheen, gives him as Moose pointed out, it's like a it's like a. Uh, what do you call it? A dump, Um, uh, expositional dump. Expositional dump. Yeah. He just like gives you all this additional information about what may really be going on. Um, And it's cool to hear like that. These, that, you know, how he talks about, how mathematicians theorize that there are many different universes and that we live in one. That these creatures may actually be slipping in and out. It's they're not traveling. He through.
1: even uses the term multiverse. It might multiverse. be Part of the MCU or DC <laughs> very, Comics multiverse. Very early use of yeah. Yeah, yeah,
2: twenty-five years before yeah. Um, and but what I what I liked about what he said is at the end, Marcel says, "Is any of this true?" And he says, uh, "This quote always stuck with me." He goes, "One must proceed cautiously." on guard against one's desire to want it to be true or want it not to be true. One must be, as much as possible, neutral. And I think that's something I've always tried to maintain, is that I, I may like this and think it's cool-sounding, but I have to realize that I'm not getting any of this firsthand. I'm just seeing a dramatization of reportedly events that other people Witnessed, so I have to be neutral and just take it all in. You know, just kind of absorb the information and not necessarily want it to be true or want it not to be true. And I think that's important for any um, anybody that's interested in this topic and that they don't get sucked down the rabbit hole. Also, (laughs)
1: like let's let's say everything about Area Fifty One and Roswell, etc. Let's 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 assume or presume that it's all one hundred percent factual. If an event like that were to ever happen again, and who knows, maybe it'll be centuries before anything like that happens again, or it might be tomorrow, but I just feel like it would never be possible for the government to be able to keep a lid on it the way they might have been able to in the 1940s, and so it's one of those things where we might not ever know the truth about what happened around Roswell. All we know is that there was this elaborate... Cover up of some kind trying to spin the story immediately thereafter and trying, trying to change things. So we might not ever know what happened in 1947 or so, but if something were to happen tomorrow, something tells me that no matter what the government tried to do, they would not be able to keep a lid on it.
2: It would be much harder, I think, with, um, you know, A, with we didn't have satellites back then. So we couldn't, no one could, no private corporations could be spying on things. It, it's, it's a lot harder to hide. Anything of course, if you nowadays. believe Alex
1: Jones, he says all the heads of all the big uh, Silicon Valley uh, companies that they're already in regular, constant communication with beings from other dimensions and that they're like harvesting us to be, be food. I mean, he was on Joe Rogan Experience One Time and they gave him alcohol and weed. I mean, it's. <laughs> anyway, he went crazy, but he went on for like 30 minutes about all of his theories when it comes to otherworldly beings. So uh, who knows? Maybe he's yeah. right. I don't
2: know. But anyway, I. I, I... Because this film isn't available, I did something which I never, no, normally do. I, I I ripped it and uploaded it for you guys to be able to watch. And if anybody listening would like to check it out, I would be happy to. I thoroughly uh, enjoyed it. Yeah, share a I, I thought it was,
1: I thought it was well well worth a watch. Yeah. Right.
2: It, it, and what I like about it is that if you don't believe in this stuff, you can watch it as a piece of science fiction. And it's Absolutely. entertaining, you know, and it's it, well acted. It's,
1: it's well written. Well written yeah. It's just it's, it's quality, quality entertainment.
2: And uh, and it's, you know, it's got a score by uh, Elliot Goldenthal, who, who did like Alien 3, you know, um, and um, Batman Forever. You know, he they got some good talent to be involved in this production it's got a creepy score i like the little opening sequence where they're playing little clips from uh you know and shot footage of uh, actual ufos and it's uh yeah it's a, it's a neat um point. little point and, and i think it was it really it was released at a point in the early 90s when this was a very hot new um topic again we had the x-files coming out in 93 you had um and then you had, of course, in the mid 90s, um, Mars attacks and Independence Day, which were two big alien movies. So there was like this resurgence of, of interest in, in aliens. And I think that had partially to do with the fact that Bill Clinton was a big believer. And when he got elected, he had sort of promised that he would get to the bottom of the issue. He, when he was um, um, governor, governor, right, of Arkansas, he, mm-hmm. he, um, he had made several um, remarks about how he wanted to, uh, if, you, if elected, get to the bottom of, of the issue. And, uh, and, and there is some evidence that he made some headway, but I think he was largely kept in the dark as well. Uh, gotcha.
1: Well, Moose, before we get to your big two, any thoughts on Roswell? Any thought <laughs>
3: Adam, I thought you were going to ask me something.
2: Oh, yeah. Did you? I you, did. You bought, I, so when I uploaded you – you watched it and then you watched it again, right? It was the next day. Yes.
3: Yes, yes. I watched it. Uh, I watched it by myself. And then I was like, okay, you know, I have to watch this again with Tina because she will, uh, she will love this. And so the very next day I popped it back on. I said, Tina, look, I got this crazy Vimeo app on my, my TV. Now I can watch this. And uh, so we pulled that up and watched it. And uh, she loved it. She got, when when they had Jesse Marcel in there, when they had Kyle McLaughlin in there, and he was like, "No, this this isn't what I had. This is this is clearly a weather balloon. This is no, this is what you found." And then they had him lean down and pick it up for the cameras and everything. She got so pissed. <laughs> <laughs> she was like, "Oh man, look what they're doing to him! God, they're
2: totally scapegoat. That's what they're making him. Ah, I hate this." <laughs> Uh She did not. Yeah, it's, that a, at it's well. a tough scene to watch. I mean, it, it, and, I think, and I but think he's it's a pure smart. military
1: man, though, and he's used to people being positioned to be a fall guy. So he's like, all right, well, if I'm going to be the fall guy, at least I want to know what the hell I'm like the fall guy about. Like he is loyal to the bitter end, but finally uh, he's got like two years left to his life, and he's like, look, I just want to know what the hell happened, just for my own personal satisfaction. Yeah,
2: before I before I go, yeah, there's that great scene where he confronts Xander Berkeley, who is like the you know, intelligence officer on the base. And he's like, just tell me, you know, what, what, cause he, you know, he's acting like nothing happened and he was with him when he went out. Yeah, and he's bar. like, I
1: outrank you. And he's like, <laughs> yeah.
2: yeah. It doesn't great. matter. Yeah. It doesn't matter if you outrank me. Yeah. It's, uh, just, yeah, it's they, just. Yeah. Yeah. They're no, all. You, you like, I'm sorry. <laughs> Go ahead. No, no. There's, it just has a, a, a great little, uh, cast of, of recognizable faces that you may not know them all by name but yeah. you'll you'll recognize them you know from many I, I roles I totally
3: understand what Xander Berkeley was doing yeah uh, or his character I, I totally yeah. understand what his character was doing but you still are like ah you jerk just say something to yeah. him and he's like nothing happened man let it go
2: <laughs> yeah and wasn't there that scene you like uh, we were talking about this that scene where the guy was on the ra- uh, floating in the pool he like uh, floats by and he's like um, I was on the I was on the the, the, the plane that spotted the second you know, the second crash site or whatever. There were apparently two sites. There was the, the debris field that Marcel found, but then there was the second crash site that they spotted by by plane, where the actual craft and the beings were uh, were uncovered. And, uh, yeah, it's creepy stuff. I love that scene yeah. <laughs>
3: between those three guys.
2: Yeah, those three old Army, you know, Air Force guys, I mean, that were just, like, sitting around the table by the pool. And the, they're and, I, and that's a great scene because that's, again, that's the whole Rauschenmann sort of effect where they all had a different interpretation or memory <laughs> of what occurred. And I always found that to be really powerful as well because, it, as I mentioned, you don't – you can't believe everything you hear. You, right. They each describe the being's – differently you know the shape of their head you know how you know it's just that's a very important thing when looking at this subject is that the the, there's going to be disagreements even from first-hand or second-hand witnesses on what what was what was witnessed. there's one
1: detail that i love which somebody made such a good point early in the movie where anytime anything crashes ever people are aware of the fact that something has crashed and they go looking for it and right. the way this thing has crashed, you could see it from 100 miles away because it's just mm-hmm. metal all over the place. And if anything had crashed in that area, whether you're talking about somebody's kite to a 747 or whatever, somebody would have come looking for it. But the fact that this giant scene of wreckage is out there and nobody's come looking, <laughs> that alone raises alarm bells. Exactly. I mean, yeah. it's
3: not ours.
2: Right. Exactly. That It proves right then and there that the military wasn't secretly testing anything, which they claim— in, in I think it was in 1998 they finally admitted that it wasn't a weather balloon. This was, this is, you know, something that the U.S. government did declare that it wasn't a weather balloon. It was a secret uh, rocket that we were testing and we couldn't talk about. It. So that was their new cover story, of course. Um, come the 19, I think it was
1: 98,
2: around that time. Schemes or, within
1: schemes. Yeah. So. Smoke screens who knows? within smokescreens.
2: Yeah. Who knows? But that's 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 my uh, that's my number. What
3: was that number Four, three? That was your number three. three. Yeah. yeah. Uh, I was uh, in the military, and while I was stationed in Mountain Home, I worked in administrations. And as a additional duty, I went over and helped the uh, EOD, the Explosive Ordnance Division. I helped them out with their admin, and uh, one of the guys in there showed me a picture of the the sign and he gave it to me it was a sign he took a picture of the roswell sign uh and uh, he gave that to me and he was like yeah i was stationed at uh, area 51 in security wow. and i was like i was like you're not gonna you- you're not gonna tell me anything about it are you and he's like he was like well no i can't tell i'll tell you what i'll tell you what i spent most of my time underground and they have excellent facilities in there
2: whatever that means
3: yeah, there's a there's a beautiful gymnasium and there's a pool in there and a, and he said there's excellent excellent facilities in there and that's all he ever said to me.
2: I guess that would imply that they have set up a a, a, a a like a city there where people can live and enjoy themselves for long. Yeah, yeah he time. he would he would yeah. go
3: there. Yeah. Uh, you know he would fly over, and then you know take that uh, he'd take that bus over there and then fly over on the Janus flight uh, to the base. And uh, he would go inside, and uh, he would come back like the next week.
2: Mm. Yeah, yeah. Apparently, there's a, uh, a like for the civilian, you know, contractors and workers that go there. They fly out of out of uh, the Las Vegas airport, and there's mm-hmm. a specific flight that that pe- you can actually witness the people going. Again, it, yeah. it you don't know. Again, this is not implying that they're definitely studying alien craft or whatever. Right. It just means that they're. There are people going. There is a real base there, even though for a long time they said there wasn't. You know, so that, but there is, and it's it. Space people have orgies, tra-
1: baby. Nothing but yeah. space <laughs> orgies.
2: So it's a real thing. It's just a, the 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 debate now. But they, for a long time, denied it even existed. So it wasn't on any map. You know, it wasn't on any. Uh, um, you know, it was a groom lake. You know, it was it was removed from a lot of. Um, uh, a lot of maps. I don't even think you can see anything on Google earth. Is that right? It's like, it's been fully blacked out, expunged you
1: from the web, yeah.
2: but I could be wrong. But anyway, I think it is. I think it is not on there.
1: Yeah. <laughs>
3: anyway.
2: Oh, um, so so you, really were, you were, you were, you
3: going for my number two, right? Yeah, don't tease us any longer. Oh boy. Out of the four I have in front of me, number two, I see, like I said, man, here it goes. Flight of the Navigator, 1986. Oh, nice. All my movies are <laughs> light-hearted fun. These yes, are I know, <laughs> I totally, I didn't even mean for that.
2: <laughs> oh, my gosh. But it shows you how how different Disney was back in the 70s and 80s. They were really making, outside. you know, they were having some struggles with their animation, but their live-action stuff was kind of... You know, really dabbling in the sci-fi fantasy world, unlike many studios at the time. So anyway, I don't want to interrupt you. I just, sorry. Just made me think of that.
3: Yeah, but, uh, you know, when it comes to some of my choices, they all seem to have a little of everything there. Look at Flight of the Navigator. Uh, have you seen it before, James?
1: I intentionally avoided it as a kid for whatever reason at age 10. I thought it looked like it was a kid's movie. And I was a kid, but I was it just it di- didn't. Jump out of me I was much more interested In something like uh, What would have been a, At age 10 I was much more Like an aliens kind of guy I wanted something With a little more uh, Guns and chest It has got some
3: It has some great scenes In there It, uh, it stars uh, Oh what's the heck is that? Kid's name from E.T. Henry oh, Thomas what's that? Henry Thomas Is that his name? E.T. Um,
1: yeah. is, he, is he in this as well? He's the star Are you, are you sure? I think it's yeah, Joe, I think Joey it's Kramer so, What?
2: Yeah, I think it's a different kid, but I don't remember his name.
1: Yeah, it's a different. It's it's not the same guy. It's Joe. Yes, Joey Kramer. Okay, this is the second. The second movie I've had a problem. (laughs) (laughs) It's not. It's not the same kid. It's the same type, uh, like same age, same hairdo. Yeah, but uh, yeah, it's uh, Henry Thomas by 1986, so it was probably you know.
3: So I probably get. I probably get Joey Kramer, um, the Henry Thomas, and the kid from the Black Stallion mixed up cuz they all <laughs> look the same. They, they
2: they had a similar look, yeah, but it did have yeah. it did have a young Sarah
1: Jessica in it. Alien oh, very nice. Yeah.
3: Yeah. Yeah, that was a uh... Uh, if you said that was her first movie, I, I mean, would For me, he this, almost,
1: this kid almost looks like a young Fred Savage, in know, in a lot of ways. But um, <laughs> yeah, they're all kind of like the same kind of chubby cheeked brunette young kids.
3: I almost brought up Fred Savage when you were talking about Roswell, because his little kid is looking up, talking to him and he sounds like Fred Savage. Uh, I, I thought was it was kid. him as
1: well for a brief yeah. moment. Yeah. yeah,
3: That's not him. But yeah, look what <laughs> it, it Cliff de Young. I love Cliff de Young. Yeah. Uh, and you get Pee Wee Herman. You get right. Paul Rubens in there as the, uh, the, the the ship. Well, here he is. Joey Kramer, David, he, uh, he and his little brother are running through the woods at night uh, back to uh, their house. Joey Kramer, he falls down and he wakes up and then he goes back to his house and the people in his house are not the same people. And there's different people living there. Everything looks a little bit different and he's like, You know, he's freaking out. He's trying to figure out what's going on. He's calling for his parents. He's like, this is my room. Where's my parents? And it turns out he's been gone for eight years and his parents come, you know, they had been looking for him for eight years. You you get to the point where you kind of you never really give up, but you start to lose hope. And then all of a sudden, you know, we found your your kid and he had eight years later and he has not aged a day. He still looks
2: exactly as he did. And uh, brother is now like older than him. Yeah. Yeah. Grown. (laughs) So they, they, they
3: get back together and they're starting their life again. And before they even, you know, really get started, NASA becomes interested in him because uh, he goes there and he does some tests and and it turns out he's got this, uh, this vast amount of information about The the solar system, about the universe, about, uh, you know, for like navigational purposes, locked in his brain. So NASA is very interested in him. So they've got him at this place, this base, and they've got him locked in there. And they say, oh, well, you'll be only here for a little while. And they're they're probably not going to let him go. Next thing you know, he's talking. And, oh, now I'm thinking, don't, please don't. I don't want to get confused with another one of my other movies. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. I'm like, is he? Everybody in my movies is telepathically speaking to my somebody else. My theory
1: is that because you're so close to the truth on all these conspiracies, the government scrambled your brain yeah. so that you can't possibly unveil all the information accurately.
2: Thirteen it, it years, years all ago, happened. That's, that's after, what happened.
1: The it all happened.
3: Oh, <laughs> I thought it happened after I met, talked to that guy about about the uh, Area 51. Oh yeah. Oh,
1: I got out of the service right after that
3: for some reason. Mm-hmm. I don't know. Whatever.
1: Yeah. So is Joey Kramer poor man's Henry Thomas, or is Henry Thomas poor man's Joey Kramer?
3: <laughs> uh, I, 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 there's a Black Stallion in there someplace, too.
1: <laughs> Adam, any strong feelings about Flight of the Navigator?
2: Oh, I mean, I loved it. When I was young, in, in the mid-80s, whenever it came out, I, I remember seeing it right away, and I thought it was... It was really cool And I also, you know, I of course love movies like Aliens as well It just was a totally different vibe
1: But if you were to take the kid from uh, Flight of the Navigator and his ship And take the teenager from Last Starfighter and his ship Who would win in a head-to-head battle?
3: Oh, oh, I think uh, Flight of the Navigator If if you eventually watch it and you see that thing move Yeah, it's... (laughs) It's, I think it would avoid any death. Ball I don't somewhere.
1: think it's gonna rocket it to yeah. the top of my to-watch yeah. list. But if my nieces and nephews at some point are watching it, and I'm walking to the room, I'm like, "Hey, Moose said this movie rocks? I'll sit down and have a look see."
2: It's a
3: it's hey, a that, fun
2: product of its time, I think. You know, it's yeah. It's, that that Joy but, Kramer, uh, uh,
3: uh, uh ha, 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 what's his name? What's his name from ET? Uh, Henry Thomas. <laughs> yeah, that Henry Thomas, Joy <laughs> Kramer, Black Stallion kid. He. Uh, <laughs> You know, I told. He's going somewhere.
1: Later. Yeah, yeah. Let's see. Let's see what ever happened he, to this kid. He he does really good. All right, Joey Kramer, born in nineteen seventy three. Oh, he's in Clan of the Cave Bear. He's in Runaway, the Tom Selleck movie which I saw. He's in a little, few episodes of Murder She Wrote. Um, then he went on to star in Seinfeld. He right? stopped um, acting in 1996. He had an uncredited role as a party guest in It's My Party, but his last credited role was Stone Fox in 1987. So, yeah, he didn't last much longer. Flight of the Navigator, Murder She Wrote, Stone Fox, and that was it. He hung up his spurs. Who's the kid in Cloak and Dagger? Well, that Thomas. Yeah, see, he could have been Joey
2: Kramer for all I know. <laughs> have you seen Cloak and Dagger, James?
1: I do not believe
2: so. Cloak oh, and... no, If you love Dabney James Coleman. Yeah, I mean, of the eight kids, yeah. I, I haven't seen it since I was probably – Ridiculous. 12, but I it's loved,
1: a good I movie, though. All righty. Well, moving on, Adam, number two, what do you got for us? Okay.
2: So, as I mentioned, you moved past Roswell in 1994 and there was a string of great alien, you know, well, not great. There were a string of alien invasion films with Independence Day and Mars Attacks. I actually really loved when it came out, Independence Day. I think I saw it in the theater three times. I was just so thrilled that there was a big budget alien invasion movie with, with, with great visual effects it doesn't hold up as well
1: after revisiting it, um, and the uh, sequel is unwatchable. And I yeah, saw it I in four DX, which also made it equal, even more unendurable than one of it would have otherwise.
2: <laughs> I hate the, the concept of four DX; just makes me mad. So, yeah, um, yeah it's uh, but but there are still some elements to it that, if I watch it, I can still watch it through my my nineteen ninety five goggles and and enjoy some of it. It's um, like I said for me, it was just a, a sign that sci-fi is back baby you know we got hollywood is because it, it was really for a while there there was not a lot of big budget sci-fi yeah, it, was, it
1: was the dawn of digital effects that brought it back yeah so it, yeah. It, it, yeah
2: and it and it did win the academy award for best visual effects and and they still are pretty great and a lot of it is not cg if people don't realize this it's mostly models shot traditionally especially
1: the white house the white house was yeah. a model that they blew up they just added the cg of the ship exactly. above it. it
2: was a lot of composite work but it, it holds up i think because it wasn't overly cg yeah, it's something uh, physical you can actually touch even the fighter jets are are model planes they're not uh, that were shot like the grand canyon sequence where they fly through that's miniature planes flying through um there's a great behind the scenes making of featurette on the the blu-ray that it's just it's remarkable how much work you know work went into creating these miniature set sequences that they could film and they're just so detailed Uh, so i'm more impressed with the visual effects than anything else um but anyway that's not one of my movies i was just kind of (laughs) moving forward to the next film that really impacted me in 2002 was a movie called signs and this is an M night Shyamalan film and and at this point in his career i was enthralled by him. I hit those first three movies he made. I was like, this guy is a combination of Steelwork and Hitchcock in one. I was like unbreakable. I loved, it was like the best superhero movie up until that point. Well, maybe not better than like Batman, you know, but for me, it was like taking the genre seriously. And that was the first time we kind of saw, them take it uh the the concept of an origin story almost as if this could happen to a real person right that a real human being could could have powers that went beyond what we we think are possible um and sign and signs for me because i'm a sci-fi fan and i love aliens and all that it just it it got me it took hold of me i saw it opening night on 34th street in manhattan sold out audience and that, I'll tell you, that movie from about uh, the last four, 30, 40 minutes in, it, it was dead silence. Not a single person got up out of their seat. Everyone was glued to the screen. Uh, it, was, it was like like the birds, you know, it was Hitchcockian, you know, and people were just completely sucked into this movie. And, uh, and anyway, I grew up not far from where this film took place. My grandmother actually lived in Bucks County, Pennsylvania, where the film takes place. So it felt it felt very I connected with it on on a level that maybe some people some viewers may not. But um, and just to remind people, there are UFOs in it, even though um, they don't witness one all over the TV, as they see over Mexico City, there are UFO lights all over the planet hovering there and everyone's watching glued to their screens. So it is a UFO movie. And of course there are crop circles which were created by the UFOs. So uh, I, I just wanted to make sure you, that I clarify this wasn't an alien movie. It was, it is a true UFO uh, genre film in that sense but um, anyway I, I i i think it's a great film i know not everyone agrees with me on that but i for me it's right up there in terms of some of the best alien invasion suspense um, and it's just yeah it i i i i love i think mel gibson gives one of his better performances in it he's he does a really good job there are some there are some issues with the script and some of you know some of the acting as as can be problematic in a lot of and Mike Shyamalan's films, the scripts can be a little weak at times, but it makes up for it for me in sort of creepiness and suspense that I thought was really, really well done. So.
1: Has his subsequent output, basically The Village, Lady in the Water, The Happening, The Last Airbender, After Earth, etc., have those films made you reevaluate your initial enthusiasm or do you just kind of compartmentalize and keep those earlier yeah. films in their own category?
2: Yeah, that's sort of. Uh, so the village, I kind of half liked. I thought it was a really cool concept, mm-hmm. but it kind of it didn't quite work for me fully, you know. But I thought it was really well made, and it was su- the first time you're watching it, it's super creepy, and I just didn't think the, the 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 payoff. It's hard. It's a hard movie to rewatch because once you know yeah. the twist. And anyway, the other reason I liked those first three films is because he was essentially making twilight zone episodes which is one of my favorite shows and he was doing them with big budgets and big stars and i just couldn't wait for the next twilight you know m night Shyamalan twilight zone episode to come out but for some reason he just went so downhill after that and i i just compartment i i I consider the sixth sense unbreakable and signs to be like this this trilogy that he created that just was phenomenal sort of like you know jaws uh, Close Encounters and Raiders of the Lost Ark for Spielberg. He made these three, and not that he didn't continue to make great movies, but you know sometimes directors make some of their best films early on, and then they just, Brian De Palma was like this, they just kind of lose their... their De
1: Palma, from the late 60s up through, I would say, Mission Impossible in the mid-90s had a lot of good flicks. I think he had a much lengthier run where he was cranking yeah. out incredible stuff.
2: Yeah, definitely. So, yeah, I, I'm I'm not a uh, a fan of his later work, and I was so disappointed with uh, I don't know if you if we talked about this ever, but with um, uh, I don't even know what it was called the, the the sequel to Unbreakable.
1: Um, oh well, he did two sequels. He did Split, well, yeah. Split and Glass. Yeah,
2: Glass is what I was referring to. That really, I actually really loved the, the, I didn't love Split as a movie, but I liked the ending. I thought it was really cool that the twist for that movie. Was that this was a sequel to another movie? I thought that was a clever idea to sort of tell a sequel to a movie, but you never knew you were you were watching a sequel. So that was a cool concept. When you see Bruce Willis at the very end sitting in the diner, and you're like, "Oh my god!" You hear the music from Unbreakable. You're like, "This is an Unbreakable movie." Like that that blew my mind. But then Glass just I don't know what I don't know what he did with Glass. I I don't know. It didn't work for me. <laughs> Maybe others liked
3: it on this. Well, uh, Luce,
1: any strong feelings about Signs <laughs> as a flick?
3: Yeah, I got some strong feelings. Yeah. <clears throat> I like how you said, you know, I, I had to hold my mouth when you were saying uh, people were glued to the screen uh, in that last part because uh, I, I, was, I was not with Tina at that time. It was with somebody else, and we were in Florida, and uh, she was like, oh, we ha- we're going to go see Signs, but we have to take the baby with us. So we were in the back of the audience, and it got towards the end. I'm the one that was like, "We gotta go see this movie. What is it? Sign. We gotta go see it." And we went there, and we're sitting back there, and uh, and uh, my son starts getting uppity and starts crying. And I look at her, and she's like, "Take him out." I'm like, "Oh my god, <laughs> it's the last part of the movie. I can't." So I took Sean out and walked around outside, and uh, I never saw. I didn't see the end of the movie oh, when it was in no. the theater.
2: Yeah,
3: I was very upset, <laughs> <laughs> and she was like, oh, "It was pretty good." Oh, <laughs> but uh, yeah, I really enjoyed Signs uh, later on when I saw the end of it. It definitely had a, it definitely had a creepy. I think that was the best part of it. It was a, it had a creepy feel to it. You know, he's looking out there in the uh, in the cornfields, and you see that something moved, or the swing set, the swing oh, starts yeah. moving and stuff, and you're like. Uh, and you hear like doo, 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 goes over the roof, and you're like, oh right. man, this is more of a creep factor in this movie. Uh, it's it's than- the what
2: you don't see is more powerful, you know, than what you see, kind of uh, suspense.
3: Yeah. Yeah, yeah, and, uh, and I really enjoyed it.
2: Yeah, and, and and I yeah I I love that scene. I love that scene. Where he's in the cornfield, and his his flashlight goes out. He, like shakes it and he pulls it up and you see the leg of the creature like in the corn stalks and it like quickly goes out of frame it's like on screen for half a second but it, it's just one of those like oh my god cuz you you're with him in that moment you're like you're in that oh. cornfield and you're like holy fuck what the what It's almost
3: it? yeah. it's almost a great horror movie.
2: Yeah, and it, that's why I say it's very hitchcockian in that sense like it's a hitchcock it's a hitchcock type of horror mm. um and I know some people get um upset with the ending where you actually see the alien but i always kind of uh, I, I i enjoyed the fact that it all came around the idea of signs was not just the physical signs but it's the signs that we that we see in our lives you know that that sort of yeah. dictate us so that yeah. that also that for me was something that that i connected to and uh, that things happen for a reason. You know that everything that happens in our lives, you know, whether it's the death of someone in your family or whether it's a choice you make, that actually reflects, you know, who you are now and the next decision that you make in your life. So it's yeah, it's just it, the best part, though, for me is is just those scenes whether, they're in the house and they're, you know, they're in the basement and like the, the young boy, yeah, right? I think it's Corey yeah. Falcon is having an asthma attack and, yeah. you know, they're here, all the co- co- the commotion outside. It's just like, you don't know what And the first time you're seeing it, you are on the edge of your seat. You're just right. like, what is happening here? So it's uh it's, it's, it's a fun. That's trip. why the, uh,
3: a lot of the ending of that movie kind of let me down. I was, it was building up so great up until the, the point and I just kind of didn't, You know, it didn't gel well with me that the whole thing was, you know, his wife telling him, you know, all these different things that that meant something about the end.
1: That's a harbinger for his entire career. Started strong (laughs) and
2: big disappointment. Yeah. Yeah. So anyway, like I said, for me the film works even without that ending, it works just as a great creepy thriller. You know, and it's a slow burn in in, in the sense that it, it takes it takes its time. But that's kind of what I liked about it. I kind of liked that it didn't it didn't throw anything at you right away. It just kind of you're sitting there again. It's one of those mm-hmm. movies that really works well the first time you see it right. because you just it's all about what's what's going to happen. And once you see it, it doesn't have the same impact. That's right. one of his one of his. Weaknesses. One of his I f- think it should have crippling.
1: Yeah. It's a his, his, his crippling yeah. Achilles heels. That yeah. is, even his best movies, you can't revisit them because it's all, it's like a sleight of hand magic trick. And once you see sure the magic trick, right, you can't put the it's rabbit done. back in the hat. Exactly. Yeah.
2: So, so that's signs. That's Excellent. my number four. Right four. Yeah. He
3: should have went with a more sort of outer limits kind of ending. You know, outer limits. You all this crazy stuff happens, and at the end, the twist is that. All this crazy stuff really did happen, and you're dealing with this changed world afterwards. Right, uh, right,
2: yeah, and that's 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 what I thought we were getting to. I thought we were like, oh, this is one of those alien invasion movies where the aliens really invade, and they like take over you know they yeah, yeah they Where it turns win. into the whole world you know, turns into
1: a quiet place where they just yeah, yeah everybody's in hiding for forever and yeah. you know it, w- where
2: we don't know how to fight back and we don't and and we, we we don't we don't make it and that this is just from one i what i liked those it, it was that it took one family and put the invasion from their perspective versus the kind of global approach that so many of these invasion movies well, quick
1: prediction time played. for both of y'all which is going to kill us first rapidly evolving ai or alien invasion, which <laughs> both we're totally screwed. Uh, which is more likely to kill us off first?
2: Well, well, I read an article recently uh, that it's a 50-50 chance that we're actually living in a in a computer simulation.
1: I mean, so, you can't prove it or disprove it. It's just whether it not you take the, the whether or not said. you take the red pill, red pill or the blue pill. But uh, yeah, so many I times
3: I time. tried really hard to move things in my mind, and it just is not working. <laughs>
2: I've tried it too, believe
3: it or not. I mean how many times have you been like, I had a, I had a dream one time and in the dream I was I, I was pushing and I was able to actually move stuff and I got better and better throughout the dream and when I woke up I was like, Was that a dream? And I kept trying it and it wouldn't work. I'm like, God damn it. <laughs>
0: be the beginning of the end for the human race. For what men first thought were meteors or the often ridiculed flying saucers are in reality the flaming vanguard of the invasion from Mars. Looks like they're gonna come out of that gully pretty soon. We'll have to rush our defenses to be ready when they do. The need plenty of reinforcements. We'll get them. Lieutenant, look! They slashed across country like scythes wiping out everything that's trying to get away from them. That explains why communication is cut the moment their machines begin moving. Montreal's blacked out. Nothing more has come through. Same thing that happened on the Pacific coast. Anything from them yet? No, Mr. Secretary, we've had nothing from San Francisco for over five hours. The nations of the world mobilize their armed might, rushing to defend the Earth against the unknown weapons of the super race from the Red Planet. Is there nothing that can stop the Martian death machines? Tanks, bombs, they're like toys against them. We know now that we can't beat their machines. We've got to beat them. All over the world, human beings cower before the onslaught of these unearthly enemies, whom no one has ever seen. panic that sweeps around the globe as the great masses of mankind flee blindly in a headlong stampede of hysteria. Oh,
1: Number one UFO movie in Moose Matson's estimation. Oh,
3: okay. Well, then, you know what? I, I kind of, I'm leaving off, I actually am leaving off my number one. My number one would be Close Encounters. But I think it's been talked about to death. I think it's like, Close Encounters aside, what's your next number one? <laughs> so... <laughs> You know it's 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 actually uh, one of those crazy ones where it is and it's not. It's war of the Worlds. Mm. And it's not just the one wars, it's all of the war of the worlds all together, sort of merge in my brain the 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 radio program, um, the first movie, and even uh, even the last movie is the first movie I took Tina to mm. secretly. <clears throat> and uh, See, what she didn't know she was going. She knew she was going, but the people that we were with didn't know that we were going.
2: Oh, okay. <laughs> so,
3: and uh, War of the Worlds, uh, it 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 kind of blew my mind. I actually saw before I heard the the radio program. There was, and I can't even find it. There was a a TV movie that came out uh, based off of War of the Worlds, and it was uh, I want to say it was the night something happened. It was a. Uh, the radio program was going on and you were following all these people as they started tuning into the radio program after it had already started. And it was the story of all the people that, you know, in real life started freaking out. And some people were almost committing suicide and some people were heading to, heading for the hills. Some people were, you know, arming up with a, a bunch of other people on trucks and, uh, and they were going to go out there and help. And I saw that first and it was fascinating. And uh, then I came across... Uh, the War of the Worlds movie, and I didn't see, I didn't hear the radio
1: program until after that. My first exposure was the 1988 TV show where they wake it back up after I had a hibernation. Did you see the 88 War of the Worlds? Oh yeah, that
2: was like Isn't that the
1: one with Chavez from uh, Predator? Uh, I don't know, I haven't seen it in 32 years. Richard plays like You're right, here is Richard Chavez plays Colonel Paul Iron Horse. That's the guy. I do recall that
2: show on TV, yeah. It's, um, we had
1: a cool ad campaign with like a hand grabbing the planet and that yeah, sort of thing, yeah. and yeah, I was really into that. Which I Spielberg a of those?
2: Spielberg stole and one of the movie posters for his 2005 film had the the hand grab grabbing the Earth. So uh,
3: planet, yeah. planet Hulk also.
2: Yeah, <laughs> planet Hulk. Yeah, that's right. What do you think about War of the World, Adam? I mean, I've enjoyed every incarnation as well. I think that the uh, I I mentioned to you guys, I have my dad's original. LP record of it was a 1968 pressing nice. of, of that broadcast, um, you know, in, in its entirety. And uh, I used to listen to that when I was younger. and
0: Ladies and gentlemen, the director of the Mercury Theatre and star of these broadcasts, Orson Wells. We know now that in the early years of the 20th century, this world was being watched closely by intelligences greater than man's, and yet as mortal as his own. We know now that as human beings busied themselves about their various concerns, they were scrutinized and studied perhaps almost as narrowly as a man with a microscope might scrutinize the transient creatures that swarm and multiply in a drop of water. With infinite complacence, people went to and fro over the earth about their little affairs, serene in the assurance of their dominion over this small, spinning fragment of solar driftwood, which by chance or design, man has inherited out of the dark mystery of time and space yet across an immense ethereal gulf minds that are to our minds as ours are to the beasts in the jungle intellects vast cool and unsympathetic regarded this earth with envious eyes and slowly and surely drew their plans against us
1: oh, it's awe inspiring orson welles <laughs> he's like 21 years old and it's yeah. you can't you can't touch it it's fucking beautiful stuff yeah, yeah I, was, I was actually hoping
2: to hear what want.
1: Yeah, I was just going to say, if people
2: haven't listened to it, just go you know, go on YouTube and search for it. You can listen to it, and it's, wor- it's
1: worth a listen. Don't, yeah, it's know, bone-chilling it's, to this day. Yeah.
2: Yeah, um, I was
3: wondering if you had anything on it, because I know how much you love Orson Welles, James. And so do you have any background on that at all?
1: Background? I no, mean, he, he just—he loved— like Victorian era fiction. That was his his go-to. When you look at all the Mercury Theater productions, whether you're talking about Magnificent Ambersons or whatever, almost always they're adapting great fiction from the late 1800s or early 1900s. And while H.G. Wells and Orson Welles spelled their last name differently, they had like a bit of a kinship. And after the World of Worlds broadcast took off... He and H.G. Wells actually did this like traveling interview circuit for a while, where they would just sit down and have these like fireside chats for, for an audience. People were obsessed Gosh. with both of them, but um, yeah, just he just he was a Orson Wells was not a giant movie freak, but he read a fuckload of books. So he, mm-hmm. and as a young man, did his best to adapt like a hundred different classic books for radio, and so that was one of them. That one, I mean, they did Dracula, they did all kinds of ones, but right. um, that one obviously due to the fan. I mean, while it was going on agents start showing up and like wondering what the hell is happening and <laughs> anyway he had to do this big public apology tour the following day and he was a total gentleman about it but once again in his defense if you listen to the show from the beginning it's totally obvious this is just a show but people are gullible and people are stupid one of my favorite anecdotes though from that whole experience somebody i think it was in california Yeah, in California, they ran into a a police station with their clothes in tatters saying that they had been sexually assaulted by aliens, and when asked if she could describe her assailant, she said, I can't. It was hell. (laughs) People people have been fantasizing about being sexually assaulted by aliens for a very, very long time, and then apparently somebody in South America tried to do the same thing with the War of the Worlds, and they got arrested. So they they thought the the gag was less funny. Yeah, and...
2: You know, going back to the different incarnations, obviously I love the. There's actually a 4K restoration of the '50s film, which you can get on VOD, and it, it looks like they did a phenomenal job. It just it's beautiful. Um, but I'm actually a fan of of the Spielberg film as well, although I always felt like it ended rather abruptly. I felt like it was missing a yeah, final did. act didn't it feel like it just kind of like the whole scene
1: with Tim Robbins in the basement is unendurable. So and then they go, then they're all of a sudden
2: they're in Boston and like it it all, it just ends. Like there's no, it just feels like it was, it it was a great setup for a movie or for maybe a series, but then it just kind of didn't, it didn't know where it was going or something towards that Tim Robbins scene on. So yeah, but up until that point it was a great sort of uh suspense ride you know just what, there's a great shot that they when they're driving down the highway and when they first get out of uh this new jersey where the camera is like panning around the the truck as uh, his car as they're talking and it's literally going through the car it's like an ingenious camera move it's going through behind them around them in the front and uh, it's just one of those great Spielberg shots that only he could come up with and you don't even notice it's happening because you're so focused on the drama of the scene and the fact that they're just trying to get out of there and uh, you're seeing you know the, the kids screaming and he's just telling them to calm down and yeah, there's just some. It's got some really great moments um, in the first, I would say, two thirds, and you know, then it.
1: Who also yeah. did a great adaptation of it? Comic, uh, <coughs> comic writer Alan Moore, when oh, he I created love Alan. when he created League of Extraordinary Gentlemen, the comic. Forget about the movie. The movie's an abomination. No. But originally, yeah. it was. Um, he would do it in sections. He'd do like six issues, take a year or two off. He'd come back and do another six issues, take a year or two off. But the second arc of the League of Extraordinary Gentlemen, after the league's already been fully assembled, it's during the HG Wells War of the Worlds event. But because League of Extraordinary, I can't even speak. I'm drinking Scotch. I had to drink Scotch for this episode just to make <laughs> sure I had a nice open mind. But because the League of Extraordinary Gentlemen <laughs> takes place in the late 1800s, he actually just does the original H.G. Wells version of it. And so, Ooh. but this time around, though, they've got to fight fucking Mr. Like Mr. Hyde <laughs> and they got to fight the Invisible Man. And the Invisible Man tries to make a deal with the aliens and turn against humanity. At any rate, the second arc of The League of Extraordinary Gentlemen is fantastic reading. And yeah, it's the War of the Worlds broadcast, the War of the Worlds story just through the, through the eye of Alan Moore that's cool I have, I have
2: not heard that yeah. Yeah.
3: I have wanted to I have wanted to read all the League of Extraordinary Gentlemen uh, and I just it's kind of confusing to me where to start
1: oh you just started I mean, issue number one the, just get the the first trade paperback collecting the first volume have like, like an, they an omnibus are, or something I'm sorry do they have like an omnibus of? of I'm sure League? there probably is, but yeah, I just when yeah. I started, but basically at the time, I would wait for these trade paperbacks to come out, and I got the first trade paperback when it first came out, and I read it until the pages fell out. I read it over and over and over again, and it was fucking incredible. And so yeah, I I'm a massive fan of Alan Moore, and that's definitely one of the most entertaining things he did like in the last twenty five years. And you know, with
3: War of the Worlds, I think. It, it kind of just has to cut off that way because you know, when, when you're watching the other movie, the 50s movie, you're following around the scientists and they're trying to figure out what to do to stop this. Just, However, in this version, you you're hang falling, and
1: Get out of the way. Yeah.
3: <laughs> in this version, you're following just a family. And right. They have nothing to do with to stop the aliens or anything like that. And so for them, that's how it would have ended.
2: It, you're right. You're right. It's not Again, it's, it's not the... Uh... This sort of omniscient view—it's—it's like this intimate view, portrait of just yeah. how one family is dealing with the crisis. Um, it just doesn't work but, as well in the ending. Yeah, it just does. Uh, yeah, exactly. It works well. Like I said, it almost would work better as like a TV series. you or know. Probably like, just works best it.
1: as a book. Some, some, well, some books yeah. are just best <laughs> left alone. Although, obviously, or, people have can will never stop trying because it seems like every couple of years, somebody tries to do another variation of War of the World. Yeah. So it adapts it's just it like one seven those, times.
2: It, it's some, yeah, it's one of those... It's that source material that it's too... Recognizable
1: to pass up. Well, H.G. Wells is a powerhouse. People will always be fascinated by the Morlocks inside the story of the Time Machine. They'll okay. always be fascinated by the Island of Dr. Moreau. They'll always be fascinated by War of the Worlds. Like, H.G. Wells is a legendary writer. It's like, people are never going to stop adapting Sherlock Holmes who Arthur, Sir Arthur Conan Doyle cooked up, or people are never going to stop adapting Dracula. I mean, <laughs> just, there's just so much great genre fiction and horror and sci-fi in the late 1800s where they basically were inventing all these genres that are so popular today. Okay. Well, yeah.
3: I I had a most anticipated alien movie because of the book, and it should have just stayed a book, uh-huh. and it was Battlefield Earth uh-huh. by L. Ron Hubbard. I read the book, and I... Freaking loved it. It was a big old thick book too, and it was great.
1: And the movie, the movie was less so. <laughs> the movie yeah. was much less so. It's. I was very disappointed. My book
3: says soon to be a motion picture, and it was like twenty years later.
1: Uh, and I saw it, it in the theater with my uncle, and we walked out of there just in a daze. Like, what <laughs> did we just spend money on? And we could not believe it. But yeah, I, I actually. Didn't know what I didn't have any high or low expectations. I just it was two thousand. I wanted to see a movie, so I went, we went to see it, and holy crap! It was a um, it is a giant turd blossom.
3: Well, the book is fantastic. Did you write it before
1: it. or after Dianetics? After I want to say.
3: I, I think
2: I think it well, was after.
3: Yeah, I mm, think maybe maybe. I, I I'm pretty sure the Battlefield Earth was out when back in the eighties we started seeing these commercials with the volcano in the commercial, and it was like Dianetics.
2: I'm actually checking because I'm curious. Yeah, let's see.
1: Oh, it's a 1982 novel. See, Dianetics has been around since like the 50s, I think. Uh,
2: Yeah, that's what I thought. I remember it being a. a, a, Oh, it was
3: the 80s that that commercial came out that we all saw on the volcano.
2: Yeah, that's right. I remember that. Um, But yeah, what I remember most about that movie, and I can't believe it's 20 years ago that it came out. It's crazy. Like, where has the time gone? But um, I remember the the controversy surrounding it that John Travolta, being a Scientologist, was desperate to get this film made. Like, he was putting everything he could into Mm -hmm. getting this film produced. And I think the budget was like $100 million, which at the time was ridiculously high and somehow it doesn't look like a hundred million dollar movie. It's just no. such a such a waste and of an opportunity. And and frankly, John Travolta just looked ridiculous. Forest Whitaker it, looked even worse. I know. Gary was not a good choice for the you know for no. the lead. Like it just every so many
1: mistakes. It and just and then worst screenplay ever. Yeah. Everyone's saying piece of cake, piece of cake. I, think, I was like, stop saying piece of cake. It's it wasn't <laughs> cool the first time. And, and and I think it
2: also suffered from the fact that a lot of people felt like it was just some kind of Scientology, you know, propaganda film. It that, was yeah but you could have but doesn't mean you can't enjoy it for science yeah. fiction if it's good like you i haven't read the book but you know if it's oh, a good- I,
3: I would hope that someday you do because yeah. a couple pages in you'd be like oh this sounds much
1: better already
2: <laughs> yeah yeah <sighs> Yeah, unfortunately, the film probably turned a whole generation of potential readers off from that. <laughs> yeah,
1: any chance of my joining the Church of Scientology was eradicated forever. But the first time I met a Scientologist was on the Hollywood Boulevard in L.A., and somebody offered to give me a stress test, and they were so creepy and such a lost soul. I was like, I, I want nothing to do with this fucking. Cult. Grab the cans.
2: Is, is the stress test anything like those um, those love tests in in the bars? You know, uh, pretty is- much. Uh, yeah.
1: <laughs> At any rate. At long last, let's get to Adam Rakoff's number one UFO film.
2: Okay, so I, I'm just going to preface this by saying it's not in any way the best film or or even my favorite film. It's just I, in going chronologically, I decided I needed to pick a, a, a current film, something produced in the last five years or so, um, as my final film. And I'll just mention there are a couple films that are, are excellent in, in after Signs. Uh, which includes uh, uh, the movie Arrival uh, with um, Amy Adams. I thought it was fantastic, which it's you know, it's a UFO. It's an object that it's not a traditional oh, It's totally UFO a UFO
1: film. movie, absolutely. But it,
2: it definitely takes it from – it's more of a film about communication, I think, and that's that's a different But approach. they are
1: unidentified flying objects, I mean, yeah. and, they, and they look fucking gorgeous on camera. Yeah,
2: it's beautifully shot. And anyway, th- so that's a great film. I, if anyone hasn't seen it, uh, I – I definitely recommend it uh, there's a fun movie that uh, came out in 2009 called um, is just some honorable mentions real quick called um, Alien Trespass it's kind of uh, it has Robert Patrick in it it's sort of like a, a they, they sold it or billed it as a 50 sci-fi movie that was locked in the vault for 50 years and finally' is getting getting released and it's kind of a, a like a, a, a tongue-in-cheek kind of play on the 1950s sci-fi genre of alien ship landing or crashing and like a creature gets loose that that was on the ship and this alien being has to like capture it and bring it back anyway it's it's just a fun movie it's on prime yeah so my film then uh that I'm, i'm ending on is a movie that is titled ufo so i thought it would be a good a good way to wrap things up it is a 2018 film that stars Gillian Anderson from the X-Files. It stars David Strathairn, I think is how you say it. Strathairn? Yeah, Strathairn. Uh, And it's a very low budget um, film really about mathematics and about um, something that uh, I'm fascinated with called the fine structure constant, which is a a strange long number that starts with it's zero point zero zero seven two nine seven three five two five six six four, and it's essentially it's a number it's a mysterious number that appears in many calculations, and uh, it's sort of it's sort of like it's part of the most fundamental physics of our universe. Include the the, the 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 ideas um, are based on this number. Um, the, the atmosphere, the stars, um, everything around us, uh, the atomic makeup includes this, this sort of mysterious number. And um, it's, uh, yeah, it's a movie about this and how a, a young college student uses mathematics and this number to kind of um, investigate a UFO sighting. And it allows him to sort of track down where it's going to uh, reappear the next time. Um, that essentially the UFO is transmitting information mathematically and only somebody you know who's smart enough and, and understands mathematics could figure out the, the, the code, if you will, the mystery, and be able to um, pinpoint the, the, the next um, location that this craft will appear. So it's just an interesting film, very small, very low budget, but it's got a sort of fascinating concept that will make you start looking up what what fine what the <laughs> what the fine structure constant is in physics and math and it'll just make you want to learn more about it and i think that in itself makes it an, an enjoyable uh, viewing and uh, i think it's available for people that want want to watch it it's not you know it's on all the vod platforms i'm not sure where it's if also it's also
3: got jillian anderson in it yeah
2: jillian anderson it's a fun it's a fun little indie flick if you will about the this this uh this phenomenon of UFOs and it's fictional obviously it's not well, based on anything
1: All I have to say is I watched Unacknowledged and I watched Bob Lazar Area 51 and Flying Saucers <laughs> two of my least favorite movies I've ever seen and neither <laughs> neither of y'all mentioned either of them in your top 5 so well, I mean, y'all owe me like we, a steak dinner it's sort or, of or, or something. <laughs> yeah. We never, uh,
2: we never consider them to be great movies per se or great filmmaking. We were just interested in the the individuals that are interviewed in them and the stories that they're telling, and as uh, I guess evidence that there is more out there than meets the more eye. More
3: interested in the stories that they're telling, right? Versus what the show you think might be trying to push on you.
2: Right. Exactly.
3: Well,
1: both of those movies, I I watched them from start to finish and I wanted to, um, I want to end the episode on a positive note. I'll just say that (laughs) um, they made me more cynical, more skeptical, way more inclined to call bullshit. And what I was hoping for was those movies that would like invite me in and I would finally feel like I found my tribe and I I, I was so excited and like, all right, I'm finally going to see like, you know, I'm going to finally, you know what, it reminded me of a little bit uh, Paul Haggis, when he was in the Church of Scientology, he has this great anecdote in the documentary Going Clear, where he's been climbing the ranks and going to the classes and making the donations. He's been invested for years, and he finally got to level seven or whatever it was, where they were going to like unveil the holy text to him. And they showed him like this kind of poorly written science fiction story about the origins of Scientology. And he's like, is this a fucking joke? i like, yeah, this is, like, <laughs> this is the secret you've been waiting for all this time. He's like, this is like a child's fantasy of like how to create a religion. Like what is the actual like origin of this religion? Like, no, this is it. And he's like, I am fucking out of here. What a waste of time, blah, 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 blah. And so I felt a little bit like Paul when I was watching. I was like, I was like, is this the best shit that the the documentary field has to offer? And so I I, I was, uh, I was, I was seeing red for a while.
2: Yeah. I think, I think the way to watch those documentaries is just to almost watch the individual interviews you know (laughs) in in some cases you can actually get them like you can just get for example uh, an interview with one of the individuals in in its entirety and just listen to what they're saying and some of it's it's fascinating to hear especially from some of these very credible witnesses people that are decorated you know military personnel you know why would they be making this stuff up these are things that they saw these are things that they 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 were involved in um it just for me it's it's hard again i don't like to say i believe anything because i haven't seen these things firsthand other than what i described at the beginning but i like to it like to to imagine that not all of these people are are crazy people making this up or wanting attention. It's mostly
1: like the host of unacknowledged. He does this thing where it's a very clever trick that he does. At one point he talks about, he's mentioning all the physical evidences out there and all the, all the different things. And then he mentions how there's even evidence of like some like alien bodies that have been examined. And he does this thing where he cuts away for like a millisecond, to what obviously, if you were to call him out on it, is clearly like a little toy of an alien, but he's in, the, in it, he's got white like rubber gloves on, so it has the illusion of authenticity like he's doing something medical, but it's clearly him just messing with a toy. And if you were to say, like, well, what the hell was that shot? He'd be like, oh, that's clearly it's a prop. I was just kind of using that as an example. But it's done in a way where for the slightly more gullible people out there, obviously this is going to convince them that they've seen like the real shit. And I just think it's True. really yeah. irresponsible for a director and a host to mix together fact and fiction where they're kind of combining speculation mm-hmm. with actual evidence. And so he actually does the subject a disservice by playing those manipulative games. Yeah. I, yeah. I hear what
2: you're saying. Yeah. I mean, Moose, you, you sent me a link recently that I watched. Um, I forget what was called, but it was, it was about the the Antarctic um, yeah. pilots and what things that they've seen and um, I liked that. Basically, that was just somebody talking on camera for 30 right. minutes. You know, it wasn't anything more than that. Just somebody <laughs> telling their their tale, and you had to sort of decide based on who they were, or if they're a credible individual, if you want to take what they're saying, you know, as truth or as fiction. You know, you're just there. It's it's their words from their mouth. You know, right. I, I think
3: I think uh, when it comes to believing. And UFOs, you can't really convince anybody to not be a skeptic or anything like that, because I think we all believe or most people believe in the probability of life in the universe. But like you said, until something comes down and we have one of those moments in the movies like in alien nation or in the or uh, there's or a just couple close like, one of close encounters when he world. looks
1: out of this truck and he gets the sunburn yeah. like on one side of his face. So I love that little detail when he gets the, the flash zaps him on one side. That's that's
3: fantastic. Or in District Nine when a ship just kind of woof and just stops right there above us. <laughs> then we're all going to be like, okay, it's it, it's real. And, and as far as you know, I know it's semantics when it comes to the UFOs and it's like, do you believe in UFOs? And I was like, well, well, yeah. I, I don't know what the hell that is up there, so it's a UFO. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, it could totally be a, a, a secret Aurora space, uh military ship or something like that. I, but I don't know what it is, so it is a UFO.
2: And now but, uh, they say the better terminology is actually um, an uh, was it un unidentified um, aerial phenomenon. I think is what they're they're using now as a more broad yeah, term. But
1: it doesn't have the same ring to it. I love yeah. the term yeah. UFO. But like when yeah. somebody's just when somebody's just sitting down to offer testimony. Not that you can... I mean, there are obviously people out there who are really good at lying. But one of the f- first ways you can tell that somebody is trying to stretch the truth or just make shit up entirely is when they're constantly telling you, I swear I'm telling the truth. I swear I'm telling the truth. It's like, all right, well, <laughs> stop saying that because then I'll be more inclined to believe you. And in Bob Lazar, Area 51 and Flying Saucers, they spend half the movie talking about how both the filmmaker and the subject are telling the truth. It's like, all right, what, just... Present me the facts as you see them and stop trying to constantly remind me that you're telling me the truth because every time you say it, my skepticism gets deeper and deeper and deeper. Okay, here's
3: here's the truth, James. Here's the truth. All right. <laughs> You're hearing it now. After, after I saw that triangle in the sky and those little balls of light. I don't know what the hell that was. It, little balls of light were coming down and poof, disappearing. I went to work. I went home and the next day I went over to my mom. We didn't have a computer at our house either. Went over to my mom's house and I started looking online and I don't know how I found it, but I found that that night from Maine, there was a sighting from Maine all the way past Michigan and then down to Florida of that same exact thing with the little lights coming down and it showed the times of the reports and in between times, uh, between before Michigan and after Michigan, it would have been a right around that same time period that I saw it. So I was like, "Okay, I did. Well, I know I saw it. It was right there." I, I, James, I'm telling you, I saw it. <laughs> but, uh, but you know, I, uh, I, I have no idea what it is. It's, it was a UFO. So, there you go. Well, and, and you curious.
1: know, if, the shape if we make that... more hobo movies, at a certain point, hobo is gonna have to throw a high kick at a nail.
2: The shape that you describe, I think I mentioned this to you, James, uh, uh, Moose, that is commonly associated with a a government um, craft that's been reverse engineered from alien technology. So a, a lot of people claim that that triangle shape yep. is actually a military um, craft. Exactly. Yeah. And I'm so. curious
1: to hear more about this element. Was it like element 115 that everybody's always talking about? Yeah. That that's
2: the part about Babazara that got me. This like the rest yeah. of it I don't really know, but
1: uh I, I can't Well the say. filmmaker is the worst possible spokesperson for that movie <laughs> where he's got yeah. that cheesy voiceover and it's like, Oh my god, stop <laughs> trying to make it stylish, stop trying to make it entertaining and when the interviewer is asking the questions like you pick the world's biggest dumbass to ask the questions and it's almost like mutual enablers and like buying mm, into mm. collective delusion. It's like just strip away all the filmmaking. Take away the music. Take away all the creepy music. Take away everything, and just yes. interview the fucking guy.
2: Yeah, and that's why I was saying some of these these uh, documentaries that are on Amazon Prime are literally just like sixty minutes with a guy on on camera
1: talking. You know? Yeah, and
2: and that lets you just take it. You like you decide. Yeah, you know, it's what such you a fascinating
1: believe. topic, and it's such an earth shattering idea. You don't need to embellish it or add music or like any of that stuff like if they do that on shows like ghost hunters to make you believe in ghosts but it's like you don't really think you're watching a documentary you're just having a fun time like watching a show and so yeah I'm still waiting for that great documentary where I'm going to watch it and I'll just become one of the believers and I'll you know use the rest of my days on this planet making podcasts about uh about UFOs
3: With those documentaries I just find I won't like be like, okay, you've sold me on this, but I find that there's a lots of very interesting little details that pop up, and you're like, wow, that's interesting. Yeah,
1: but you got to dig through a dunk yeah. heap of garbage to find yeah. those nuggets. So it's like, let's say, let's say, let's be incredibly generous and say fifty percent of those movies are a hundred percent true. No <laughs> one's gonna listen, no one's gonna listen because of all the other bullshit that's been piled on. And let's, I mean. I have no idea if it's 5%, 50%, whatever, because there's so much about those movies that makes you skeptical that they completely destroy the, the, the subject. And so they're doing themselves a disservice, in my opinion. Well, you watch,
3: you watch something like Ancient Aliens, and I, this drives me crazy every time. there will be really cool information. And then one of the guys will pop up and she's like, well, who else could be doing something like that except for extraterrestrials? And he just says it like that for everything. It just drives me crazy. And I'm like, I don't even want to listen to you anymore. No, I, I think, think you and
1: crap. Adam need to collaborate, get a crowdfunding campaign going, and make your own motherfucking UFO documentary and make us all believers.
3: Here, I got one last thing for you. Uh, I meant to say this on the War of the Worlds thing, but uh, you had mentioned you got the, the record, and I saw a picture of that you posted. Yeah. And I am like, oh, that's awesome. I had uh, a time a couple of years ago where I had ordered a uh, War of the Worlds, had it on like cassette. Mm. Uh, and um, <clears throat> the power went out in our house. Now I've got uh, I've got an interesting library in my house. I have like oil lamps all over the place and everything. So we went out to the, there's no power. So we went out to the uh, library and uh, I had the oil lamps going and my phone was fully charged. I couldn't run the tape recorder so for the tape. So I pulled up War of the Worlds on my phone and sat it to the side. And my wife was sitting there doing like, what was she doing? She was like knitting something. And I had like a, 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 a like an almost like a newspaper, like a pamphlet I was looking at. And it felt like old days because my daughter was laying on the grounds with her coloring book, and we were listening to War of the Worlds with you know no power, just the oil lamp, and it was fantastic. It like pulled me back into like the like I, I I was in the 50s listening to it for the first time.
2: That's cool. Yeah. Yeah, it's, it's it's almost like the perfect time to listen to something like that.
3: The power came back on, and we quit, we shut the lights off again, and we we continued the episode. That's <laughs> okay. great.
1: Yeah, my advice for people is to when you go to sleep at night, and whether you like have a drink before bed or smoke a little weed or whatever, but get in bed with the iPad, phone, whatever. Turn the lights off and just turn on the War of the Worlds broadcast from 1938 and just listen and just close your eyes, and your imagination will be set on fire. That'd be awesome. Awesome. And one thing I should mention, I totally forgot to mention, I I wanted to mention right at the the top, I recently licensed a sci-fi short, uh, animated short called Dead Astronaut, which ties into the whole space exploration mm. UFO thing. But I just posted awesome. it on YouTube tonight. So if you want to see a cool animated short from director Benjamin Lenz, uh, most likely going to be making more shorts with him moving into the future. And if Adam wants to get on board, I'm sure we can uh, make room for his expertise and so on and so forth. But right. I'm very excited to be not only producing things with uh, Moose, like Hope with a High Kick, but also licensing animation like Dead Astronaut.
2: And I, I just watched it. It's pretty cool. And it's only, it's under three minutes. So yeah. there's no excuse. Go watch it. Check yeah. it out. Like it. I will definitely watch it.
1: Yeah. yeah. Very uh, cool uh, music composed by Benjamin himself. And yeah, he yeah. Uh, he used to be in, in, the, in the, in the, like a, he had like a, a guitar business or maybe like a, like a foot pedal business. Anyway, he's in the music biz and he's switching now totally into animation though. Uh, yeah, he's an interesting cat. He's gonna and come on Ron Real and talk about animation at some point. Is
2: that the only episode right now? Just that one, or is yes? He, but
1: there'll be more. Okay. I, I'm just more and more. I'm thinking whether it's hobo or dead astronaut or whatever. Serialized entertainment online might be something I continue to get, invest more time and money into.
2: Yeah, yeah. Well, that's a yeah. great way to bring people back, right? You got to get them something to.
1: Uh, got feed the monkey. Come back for. Uh, this, well, this is Halloween. Know,
3: I'm sorry, keep I'm sorry. No, real sorry. Go ahead. No, sorry. But. Uh, I am, I'm trying to film a little bit of thing, a uh, little bit of thing. I can't even talk. But I mean to film something. <laughs> <laughs> I, I'm trying to f- film a little bit here in the house, uh, centered around uh, Halloween. It's a Michael Myers thing that I'm trying to do because I did, I did a little thing over at the, the Howell theater where I live a couple years back. And my Michael Myers has been wanting to get back there, and he hasn't. So my Michael Myers is a little upset, and I'm going to film a little thing that I'm a little upset that I haven't been called back to go back there. However, I just uh, talked to Tyler tonight, and on the 31st, he's playing – his theater is open now. And so on the 31st, he's playing uh, Halloween. And the last time I was there as Michael Myers, he played Halloween – and I, I got to go in there and walk around and kind of scare the the people and sit in the front row and watch Halloween as Michael Myers.
2: Nice, that's, that's pretty. So cool. I'm going to go back
3: there this Halloween and do the same thing.
2: Very nice. cool. Nice. Will that kid? Will that kid from ET uh, who was also in the Pleasant- <laughs> <laughs>
1: exactly. <laughs> Well, where can people find you online if, if, say, there's some true believers out there who think I'm a total dick for being so skeptical, but they want to talk some shop behind closed doors or people like me are not listening? Where can people find you online if they want to have some deep, probing conversations about UFOs? Uh,
2: I'm at Adam Rakoff on Twitter. That's my only social media presence. And as I mentioned earlier, if you have not seen the Roswell film and it's not available on streaming or, or any uh, – Readily available um, Blu-ray or DVD. I I did post a link to my Vimeo account, so if you'd like me to share that link uh, with, I will do so with a select few. I don't want to rob the filmmakers and and talent of any due residuals that they are er, that they've earned. But I, it's one of those films where it's it's sort of I feel like the fault of the rights holders that they're not making the film available i mean this film needs to be available like why is it not why is the last place that it was made available a 2001 dvd and that's out of print i mean that's just unfortunate because this movie actually was released on laserdisc and vhs it was a it was a big seller in the 90s but then it just kind of disappeared so uh i i've uploaded it uh for personal viewing for myself and select few others and if you'd like to check it out and discuss uh i would be happy to 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 share it with a select few just reach out
1: where can people find you mr moose
3: you can find me and all the crazy things i do on uh, moose Matson at (laughs) uh, on twitter and uh that's Pretty much the only thing you can find me on is on Twitter, sure. Matson. Very cool. And, uh, James, I know you, you do all these episodes, and you know the, it requires a lot of research. You, you try to dwindle it down to. Well, I know, didn't a do I know, no
1: research for this. I saw two docs and I saw Roswell. <laughs> so, yeah, I saw three movies, which is very light for a typical episode.
3: Well, I know you got more stuff coming up. So, uh, yeah, it's not like I'm going to be able to come back to you in a week and say, hey, how did you like The Cats in Outer Space, huh? <laughs> <laughs> Did you see that? uh, I keep wanting to say Heather Thomas. Now, if Heather Thomas was in that movie, what's that kid's name again?
2: Henry Thomas.
3: Henry. (laughs) (laughs) You could also go see that Henry Thomas, Joey Kramer, Black Stallion
2: movie.
1: He
2: was, also, he was also he was also in Me*, I believe.
3: But, no, this is,
1: reminds me of oh, when we were please. shooting *A Hobo*. We <laughs> kept having this ongoing thing where we were trying to figure out which building in New York is where they shot *Ghostbusters*. So we kept going, "Is that the Ghostbusters building?" But we must have said it fifteen times over the course yeah. of like three or four days. Is that the ghost? I mean, anyway, we just kept coming back to. We never like, officially that, decided that what it was. Been because I mean, uh, we know that they like, the top them, of it, it they changed it with like like with like a model so you, it's hard to tell yeah. but we were hell bent upon trying to figure it out and so anyway you know how just, you
2: know what you know how you know it, where it is it's right next to the church that the stay puff marshal man steps on and he goes no one steps on a church in my town exactly that's, that's where it is yeah that church is real and it's there right next to the building there yeah. was there was eight There was a church next to a building. I I
3: mentioned it to to Bill. And I said, hey, you know, I don't think that's the building, but there's a church right next to it. And it looks like that's the one State Puff stepped on. That's right. But. Maybe, yeah, maybe, right we did Central Park maybe we West. did
1: find it after all, James. Excellent. Sounds good. Well, we you hope you all have enjoyed this episode. Please remember to leave a rating, review, subscribe, all that good stuff. And if you want to talk more, you can find me on Twitter at Colbrex. If you want more short-form content in the near future, hunt down my YouTube channel, Geeking with James Hancock, where I just posted the short film, Dead Astronaut, But we can't thank you enough for listening to this episode. Hope you enjoyed it. Definitely hunt down these movies and dive as deep into the topic as you like, because who knows, you might be the one that proves conclusively once and for all that these aliens actually are here amongst us, probing and breeding and eating and feasting and all kinds of strange, <laughs> you know, <laughs> conspiratorial plots. But hope everyone has amazing Halloween. Stay safe and all that good stuff. But more importantly, as always, onwards and upwards. It
0: ain't like it used to be, but... Uh...
1: You know how to whistle, don't you, Steve?
0: You just put your lips together and blow.